Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June the 9th, 2020, titled Movie Theaters to Reopen June 12th in California. And remember guys, listening to the podcast, you can also send in questions or comments for the live questions part of the show by using the tip link in the description of this podcast by simply going to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question on the show and supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. You know, uh, the other year, there was an animated movie coming out, Rob, called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. No. And I thought it was a dumb idea. I thought it was a dumb idea. We've got Spider-Man on the big screen. Why do we need an animated Spider-Man on the big screen at the same time? Why not just do this thing as a as a uh, some kind of straight to video thing? I didn't really think I would care about a Miles Morales Spider-Man. I like I'm a Peter Parker. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. That's what I want to see. It's going to be Peter Parker. And then even the first trailer came out, and I'm like, this trailer. I don't like. Didn't like the animation style, Rob. Didn't like, what? did not like the, I didn't like the animation style in the trailer. I didn't. I thought this is just too weird. I don't like this boo on this movie, whatever. But <clears throat> I started to get curious about the movie because it is Spider-Man and it is a, a comic book related thing. And then I saw it and it ended up being not my number three favorite comic book movie of the year. It was my number three movie of the year. I only had it behind Quiet Place and Black Klansman. Other than that, I thought Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was and this was the year that Infinity War came out, and I thought Spider-Verse was the best uh, one of the year. So obviously, I've been anxiously awaiting a new one to come. Well, apparently, Rob, that phrase I like to use of tangibilization mm. is coming to pass. One of the, the animators on Spider-Verse 2 has put out on Twitter that they've begun work. Production is underway of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse 2 coming out in 2022 or so they say. I, I, I don't see any reason why they're not going to be able to make that release date at this point. Uh, and I couldn't be happier. I loved this movie so much. I just watched it again recently, actually. Uh, we did a watch along with me and a bunch of the Patreon supporters of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I love that movie more every time I see it. So I'm very, very stoked about this. Rob, it's not just Spider-Verse 2. It's, it's, we're in this phase right now where we're hearing about movies, any movie, going back into production. About oh. theaters opening back up, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But it just seems like we're starting to come out of the shell a bit. But I'm stoked about the Spider-Verse 2 thing. Rob, you hear about Spider-Verse 2 going into production. What are your thoughts? Well, I love this movie. Uh, and finally, Hot Toys put up a Miles Morales figure to pre-order. And you know how I was on that. Like, yep. uh, I could make an analogy about flies on something. But, man, I was so excited. I adored Into the Spider-Verse. Even though, you know, plot-wise, I might have had a few issues. <clears throat> but the film, the I, uh, you know, I loved the animation style in this movie. I know a lot of people, you weren't the only one that was like, what kind of, you know, reminded me when I saw the film. It reminded me when I saw Akira for the first time, the Japanese animation, right. the famous animation, because what I loved about Akira was how they animated light, like neon lights in a city. I, I'd never seen that before the way they did it. And when I saw Into the Spider-Verse, it had that same, it reminded the color, the use of light. I, I was entranced by that. And I, I, I love that we're getting another film in the same style. I love the Miles Morales character. Uh, 
I don't know if they're going to bring all the other characters back, but if they did, that wouldn't be so bad. Uh, I can't wait. Bring it on. You know, I had to buy that 4K disc. Come on. Of course. Of course you did. God, I love this movie. So I, I'm really stoked to hear about it. Guys, what do you think about it? Because it's it's several layers of things to celebrate. Movies are going back to in production, specifically Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse goes in production. A part two maybe you didn't love the first one maybe you did what do you think about it jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's do one more off the top and that is this rob one of the movies that for some reason uh, a lot of people have been very excited about that's been uh that's been in the works is bill and ted three that's been in the works well now we've got an official poster rob a Bill and Ted face the music. Bill and Ted three poster is here and it's listen. I got to tell you, it's a perfect poster. It is yep. a perfect poster for a Bill and Ted three. You got to have the phone booth. You got to have Bill and Ted and you really don't need to have anything else. You really don't. It is a perfect first poster for this. On top of that, they also released the new trailer for Bill and Ted uh, face the music. The new trailer came out. And a lot of people very, very excited about it. And Rob, I'm happy to tell you that I didn't care for it. I didn't think it was all that good. What? Yeah, I know. I, I didn't think it was all that good. I, I thought, I thought, okay, it's a bill. It's a bill and Ted three trail. Now, look, I also have to admit that I'm, I've, I've not been super excited about this. I'm not super excited about it. I love the first bill and Ted, but I thought the second one wasn't very good. And it's been so long that it's been like, I'm not against this movie. It's just that I don't really feel any need to be excited about it. And this this trailer, look, I can say this. If you're somebody who has been looking forward to this movie just because you want to see Bill and Ted back, then just seeing a Bill and Ted 3 trailer, just seeing them as Bill and Ted again is going to be exciting. And I acknowledge that. But I think my personal opinion is inherently, I didn't think there was anything all that good with the trailer inherently, but... It is just an intro trailer. It is just the first teaser. I acknowledge that. So let's, I will say though, seeing Keanu and Alex in those muscle suits. Okay. That was pretty funny. I, I got to give it that. That it was, was pretty, pretty funny. funny. But hey, Rob, Rob, you had a chance to see the trailer. What did you think about it? Well, I, <clears throat> I have to say, I look, it's a short trailer. I saw, I, I saw the trailer on Twitter and, uh, I, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I love that. Uh, there's a there's a character actress who I'm a big fan of named Holland Taylor, who apparently is playing the great leader in this in this film because she's in the trailer for this movie. Yeah, she's great. And I, there's I, I just she was a, a professor in Legally Blonde. She was the hard as nails uh, um, uh, law professor in in, uh, in Legally Blonde. I love her, but I thought this film this film looks it looks it looks one John I can't believe it got made. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it's it's one of those it's one of those movies like Creed, where I couldn't believe Creed got made, and I couldn't believe how much I loved Creed when I saw it. And I'm hoping, and I, I hold Creed up uh, as a shining example of a lot of different things, but um, how to do how to do a franchise continuation correctly. And I'm I'm hoping that this movie does that. I mean, I I can't believe it even exists. Frankly, I can't believe it got made. They talked about making this movie for a long time and uh, that they got Keanu and Alex Winter back. I mean, Dean Parasol's directing. I, I can't I can't believe it. I, John, if any if ever I wanted a movie to be great, 
Now, this is the great, one. It's a, this isn't Lawrence of Arabia. This isn't Citizen Kane. It's it's not Network or Kramer versus Kramer. But for what it is, I hope this movie's great. And it looks like it's post-apocalyptic. And I, and of course, Bill Sadler comes back as death. What's not to love, John? How come you didn't love this? Come on. I, well, I mean, look, as it, in and of itself, on its own merits, there's nothing special about it. I mean, it's just that Bill and Ted are back. Now, listen, uh, in its defense, let's say if um, uh, let's say they're going to do another Superman movie, right? Right. And you had Henry Cavill coming back as Superman. And you just put out a 30 second trailer of. Bum, 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 and then mix it in with with Zimmer's Superman scene, bum, mm-hmm. bum, and then a camera pans up, and it's Superman, and it just ends on his the chest of the S emblem, and then it pans back and shows Henry Cavill going. I'd still, I think that's, I would, I would freak out. I would, I would think this is one of the greatest trailers, even yeah. though, even though there's really nothing special about the trailer. So that's how I would react, and. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see how, how this all works. I'm still I look, I gotta admit, I'm still skeptical. I'm still skeptical about this movie. And but we will see. We will see. Question here is guys, what did you think about the Bill and Ted 3 trailer? Did it get you more excited? Did it amp up your enthusiasm? Did it maybe like me, maybe it didn't do much for you? What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Cabe Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by emailing us anytime, simply by going to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Rachel, who writes, Deadline is reporting that California will now be allowed to reopen theaters at 50% capacity. I'm actually hearing it's going to be 25% capacity, but regardless. On June 12th, the same day that films and TV resume production. If California does this in a few days, do you think most other states will follow suit given how much lesser their curve is? Thanks for taking my question. Wish you all the best. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Rachel. And yes, the thing we've all been waiting for as movie fans, just talking about in our little movie fandom circles. I know there are bigger, more important issues, but here we talk about the movie world. The thing we've all been waiting for is this whole idea of film and television going back into production. We just talked about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse 2. We've also been waiting very anxiously for the movie theaters to reopen. Now, in recent days, we've talked about stories about how Regal said, oh, we'll be open by the time Tenet opens up. We will be open by then. Cinemark has said they were going to start slowly rolling out in phases, opening, reopening their theater starting today, actually. Starting today, June 9th, in certain states, they're going to start the slow process of reopening theaters. We've known that AMC has got their plans to do so as well. But now the government of California, kind of the the central hub of movie and film production, has said that they are going to allow movie theaters to reopen this week, June 12th. Now, there are some contradictory reports out there right now. Some are saying that theaters will be op- be allowed to open to 50% capacity. Some are saying it's 25% capacity, whatever. It's going to be limited. It's going to be limited, which is wise right now. It's the smart thing to do. Whether or not it's smart or not to reopen theaters at all 
is a topic for another debate and another discussion. The fact of the matter is, it does look like they're going to be opening. You know, we've been talking here about how uh, a lot of, as every one of these um, events happens, we have stopped to reflect on what does this mean for the ultimate reopening and really how does it all tie into Tenant? You know, when Regal said, we'll be open in time for when Tenant's going to be released, we talked about how does that bold for Tenant? When we heard that Cinemark is going to be reopening, we talked about how does that affect Tenet. When we heard that Disney was still holding on to that July 24th release date for Milan, we talked about how does this affect Tenet. So again, here we are talking about theaters apparently in California are going to be reopening. Does this bode well for Tenet? Rob, I got to say for me, it's the same answer I gave before when Regal reopened, when Cinemark reopened, when all this kind of, and when NATO came out and said that they believe by mid-July, 90% of the theaters will be open. My thoughts then and my thoughts now still are, this doesn't guarantee that Tenant will be opening on July 17th. I don't think this, this guarantees it. But like all those other developments, I think it's just one more thing that bodes well for the idea of tenant. You know, I was like, I was 60% sure that tenant would open. Then, then we saw that Regal was going to be saying they were going to be open in time. And I thought, okay, maybe it's about 70% chance tenant. Then we heard that NATO said about 90% of theaters will be open. Then I thought it was about 75%. Now California is opening their movie theaters. I'm going to, so it doesn't guarantee it. I'm thinking this bodes very well for the, that July 17th date though, which is still over a month away. And, and now we're seeing Bill and Ted releasing trailers. Now, granted, that movie doesn't come out to the end of August, but now we're seeing other movies stepping up. We saw Unhinged, the Russell Crowe film. They just spent a whole ton of money sponsoring and, and advertising all over the most recent UFC event this Saturday. So we're seeing all these signs. So I'm feeling more confident than ever that Tenant will open on July 17th, even though I still don't think it's a guarantee. I still don't think it's a guarantee, but everything is pointing in the right direction. Rob, we've been waiting for this, but now California is saying they're going to reopen their theaters. We've already seen some states start to allow certain theaters to reopen. How does this strike you? Does this bode well? Is it still something we need to be really cautious of? Where does this sit with you right now? Well, I'm in the middle of a book that I'm reading called The End of October that was written by Lawrence Wright, who wrote the book that the, the, um, the Looming Tower, which was an Amazon series, was based on. And it's, it's a book he was writing. He didn't know it was going to happen. It was, it's about a global pandemic. And, you know, before we went on the show today, there were 3,097 COVID cases diagnosed yesterday in Los Angeles, in, in California, and 27 people passed away. And we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. You know, when I go to my local Vons, who, by the way, has kicked ass during this time, you still have to wear a mask. You still have to be hit with hand sanitizer before you go in. I want to see Tenet. John, I don't think I've wanted to see a movie as badly. I can't remember when I was excited as, as much as I am to see Tenet. I can't wait. As I said, I would wear a hazmat suit with a rebreather and oxygen tanks if that's what it took to go into a theater to see this movie. But... I, I don't know if now is the time that we should be opening movie theaters. I don't know. I mean, we're going to have – look, America has been undergoing a great experiment over the last week in terms of people uh, gathering together in large groups. And I, I just – I don't know. 
I don't know, but I, I, I would, I mean, I know the theaters have to make money. I know they're teetering on the brink. By the way, if you looked at AMC's stock price yesterday, your wife was a very smart lady. It's up to like oh. eight bucks. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We were we were talking about that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and I I uh, I uh, I just don't know, John. I I. I I think that we should do these kinds of things very cautiously. We are still in the midst of a global pandemic. But damn, I want to see Tenet. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you and I have been going back and forth on this for a while because, I, I mean, I agree. But again, I was talking the other day about how Ann and I went for a walk in downtown Burbank just the other night. And all the restaurants are open. Yeah. And full, full to what their capacity is. Like they have limited capacity, but they were all at capacity and people lined up outside six feet apart, but lined up outside waiting to get in. Um, and, you know, you see people like as the restaurants open, which, by the way, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. I feel much safer walking into a big movie theater than I do sitting in a low ceilinged restaurant. But right. But, you know, I, I just think it shows that people are going out. But So let me ask you this question, though, because I think you articulated why you thought what should happen very well. But let me ask you this on zero to 100 percentage chance here with Regal saying they are going to be open with Cinemark saying they're going to be open with NATO saying there's going to be 90 percent of theaters. And now with this week, California reopening the movie theaters again, what would you say the chances are not whether it should, but what would you say are the chances right now that tenant does actually open? On July 17th, where would you put those odds right now? Well, you know, we have said on this show in the past that they would make the final call by June 15th. That's what I was thinking. Um, I think they've said they've needed 80% of the movie theaters in the world to open before they're going to release Tenet. I don't know what that number is. I, I would err on the side of, I think, 65% the Tenet okay, not, will. So, so not quite as high as me. But you, you're, you're still saying it's you still say if you had to put five bucks on it, you're saying 65 percent chance that tenant will open on the 17th. 65, yes. But but I think we'll know for a fact by June 15th. I think right. I think there are factors now that we just don't know. So it's hard for me to make as educated of a guess as possible. But I would say 65 percent, at least okay, of, so right we're now, about 15 percent off because I'm going to go. I'm going to say 80. So you and I are only about 15 percent off. So it'll be interesting to see what this goes. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this latest development that California is going to be opening their movie theaters or allowing movie theaters to reopen this week? That combined with all the other news we've talked about over the last week or so, what do you think the chances are that Tenant actually does come in on July 17th? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... Joey Luca, who writes, Hey, John, and welcome back, Rob. Uh, there are rumors floating around that a new Joker will be introduced to Matt Reeves' Batman trilogy. As of now, this is just talk, but it could very much happen. Hypothetically, uh, who would be your top candidates to play the part? I, we don't do which X actor should play X role. <laughs> Questions. Uh, who would be your top candidate to play the part? And which movie should they introduce him? Thanks and have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And this one is interesting there is a report going around right now uh that comes from a website that admittedly i have never heard of before that doesn't mean it's not great i'm just saying i've never heard of it before there's a website called the direct 
which I, I had never heard of before. Uh, I went and checked it out. I didn't see any comments on any of their posts. And uh, they have a, I, they don't have much of a social media presence, but they are a site. It's a good looking site, by the way, too. It's actually kudos to whoever designed it. It's a nice looking site. But they put out a story that they claim is an exclusive, and, and this is basically what they've got. According to our co uh, con contributing insider, Daniel uh, uh, Reichman, uh, Matt Reeves is planning to introduce a new Joker into his Batman trilogy. Reeves is planning for the Joker to appear in the second and third movies as one of the film's multiple villains. This new Joker will be referenced in 2021's The Batman, and casting for the role has not yet begun. All right, so that's what's being said there. I'm going to tell you my thoughts on this and, and why I have the thoughts that I have. Rob, you and I spoke about this months ago about, you know, somebody once brought up the question on the show. Hey, do you think they'll ever bring in the Joker into new Batman movies to which we said at the time? Well, of course they are <laughs> at some point. They're huh. gonna, it's it's the Joker. It's Batman. It's the Joker at some point. There's going to be a Joker in there. Everybody knows that. And we talked about that on the show. So at some point, of course, we all know that Joker is going to be, if they continue to do Batman films, Joker will be there at some point. That's a no brainer. We all know that. that that's not up for discussion. That's not up for debate. We all know that. There, that's, that's irrefutable that, at this point. So to me, um, there's a little bit of spaghetti against the wall. It, it, there's a little bit of a scent of a spaghetti against the wall here, which is saying, you know, I remember like <laughs> websites running um, Mjolnir will be in Thor Ragnarok. It's like, well, of course Mjolnir is going to be in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> no, no one ever doubted for a second that Mjolnir was going to be in Thor Ragnarok. Of course. And I remember we talked about this show. Then this is before the trailer, but there was a literally report. Mjolnir exclusive. Mjolnir is going to be in Thor Ragnarok. Well, of course he is. Or of course it is. So anyway, we, we talked about that. There's So it, seemed, it feels a little bit like saying something obvious and then whatever. But it also reminds me of this. It reminds me of this situation. Rob, I remember a couple of years ago when uh, it was before Christopher Nolan had even agreed to do the third Dark Knight film. He had done Batman Begins. He had done The Dark Knight, but he hadn't yet done Dark Knight Rises, hadn't written it, hadn't done anything. And I remember the big story going around is that uh, Riddler and Penguin were going to be the key villains of the third film. And that was that was going around. Everybody reported that and all that kind of stuff. And I remember saying, but but Christopher Nolan hasn't written the third film yet. He, has, he hasn't even written the third film yet. He hasn't even officially signed on to do a third film yet. So, I mean, but, but it was just it was it was just accepted at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now we know that Penguin It was just the report going around. And I think it's important to note that, you know, Matt Reeves hasn't written a second Batman film yet. He hasn't written a third Batman film yet. That doesn't mean Joker won't be there. I assume he will be. So, I mean, I'm not trying to discredit this story because I completely believe there's a, I've always believed there's a very valid chance that we're going to see Joker in a second or third Batman film if a second or third Matt Reeves Batman film even happens. Um, but I don't know how much validity we give this right now um, until we see it on deadline or the Hollywood reporter or variety. Again, it's always dangerous to start running with 
with stories from sites that you've never heard of. Not that they're never right. They can be. They absolutely can be. But it's just, it's not really worth discussing too much until it comes out on one of the major trades. But again, it just seemed to me like one of the obvious things we've all been saying, there's probably going to be a Joker in the next couple of ones. This could be true. It might not be. Rob, I guess the question then comes in, should they bring Joker in? Like some might make an argument that, you know, we've had so much Joker between Joker being in the Harley Quinn show, between Joker being in Suicide Squad, between the fact that we just had Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. There's so much Joker, but the Joker is money. The Joker's money. So I, I don't know. I I do think we're going to see Joker later on, not because of this story, though. And I think it's a good idea for them at some point because they're the yin and the yang. The Batman and the Joker are the yin and the yang. So, yeah, I'm all for it. And I think it'll happen. Rob, you hear about this. What's your reaction to it? Well, like you pointed out, I mean, it'd be nice if they could finish the first Batman movie before they start talking about who's going to be in the second because um, they don't know. But, of course, John, you can't. The Joker is going to be an obvious choice. Maybe he'll show up in the third movie. But if you're going to make a trilogy of Batman films, it's probably a good bet. We'll see a new version of the Joker uh, in some way, shape, or form. I, I think that's pretty much a guarantee. Um, like you said, it's Batman and the Joker are yin and yang. They're they're two sides of 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 two faces going. You know, you 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 have to have them together at some point. And I think what's really interesting is it's not just having the Joker as a villain; it's also having another actor playing opposite your lead. So one of the great things I think about Christopher Nolan's Batman is watching Christian Bale acting in a movie with Heath Ledger and seeing the dynamic those two actors brought to the movie. And I think, you know, after watching that Tenant trailer and seeing Robert Pattinson's performance, especially after, at that end tag when, well, we have to we have to crash a plane into a building and nothing so dramatic. You know, looking at that, I'm like, <laughs> I want to see more of that guy. And it, it, it just excites me that 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 his Batman is being teed up in Tenet. And I'm like that character. I don't know. I, I'm just really excited about Robert Pattinson's Batman. And I think that imagine the, who they might cast to play opposite him and that dynamic. That's what excites me is, is I want to see, I mean, the takes we've had on, on screen of the Joker have all been interesting and dynamic. So if it keeps it in that tradition, I think whoever plays the Joker, whenever they play it, it's going to be one heck of a fun time at the movies. Let me tell you. All right, so the question here for you guys is simply this. What do you think of this story? Do you think there's any credibility to it? Do you think they'll never go back to the Joker? Did you always assume they go to the Joker? Is it a good idea to go back to the Joker? A lot of questions here, a lot of different angles to this. Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by... Connor Critic, who writes, Hey, John, I was wondering if you have heard the news that Hartley Sawyer, who plays Ralph Dibney or Elongated Man on The Flash, has been fired after some racist tweets that he posted on Twitter. As a fan of the show and that character, this really upsets me. I was looking forward to seeing more of him in season seven. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on this. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending this in, man. And I'm sure this will be one of the most non-controversial, non-divisive issues that we could possibly talk about and discuss here on the John Campius Show. Uh, for those of you who've not heard about this, yes, about this, yes, Harley Sawyer, uh, who of course plays Elongated Man, 
it's not that he put out new tweets. He didn't just jump on Twitter and say some things. Uh, what have, have come to light is a number of what would some would call racist, sexist, some homophobic, some violent, um, a lot of ill-advised tweets that he had put out from anywhere between eight to six years ago before he started working with CW. In response, CW has let him go. And he is not going to be on the show in season seven. This raises, and re I should really say re-raises, a whole um, issue about, and, and very relevant to things that are going on right now and today, about, you know, at what point do we hold somebody accountable for something that they wrote? How long ago is it still something we consider? At what and then how severe should things be? How severe should they not be? And of course, we just went through this whole thing with the James Gunn situation. I mean, we just went through the whole thing with James Gunn, right? Let me say this. Once I read the story about, and by the way, I love Elongated Man. I didn't like him at first on Flash. I love the character. I, I grew to love that character on the show. So just let me say this. And, and I liked Hartley's portrayal of the Dibney character. I really do. That said, when when the first came out, I thought, okay, there are a couple of tweets. But as I dug into it, you realize actually there were a lot. And a lot of them are, I'm not going to read them verbatim on this show, but you can go and find them yourself. There are a number of them that are particularly violent, uh, like it, like kind of encouraging violence against women. And just, just there's a lot of stuff. So that brings us to the question then. Should Warner Brothers had fired him? I'm going to say some things now that will probably upset everybody because I, I want to present both sides of my brain on this. All right. So just all I ask is listen with an open mind because I'm going to present why my one side of my brain is thinking one thing and why the other side of my brain is thinking the other. Okay. So in no particular order, let me just throw out my warring sides of my brain on this. Okay. On the one hand, I think, no, you shouldn't fire him. Um, I, that is not an endorsement of what he tweeted. They were terrible. It was stupid. The stuff he tweeted was terrible and stupid. So, but on the one side of my brain, I think you, you shouldn't fire him because at what point do we say, look, you've, you got to acknowledge that we change over time. And if we act and think one way 10 years ago, that doesn't mean we act and think that way today, um, all that kind of stuff. A good analogy is this. Um, a kid gets caught stealing by kid. I mean, I don't know an 18 year old kid, 21 year old kid, whatever gets caught stealing a roll of lifesavers in a store and he gets caught and they, all right, you got caught stealing the lifesavers. So uh, we're going to cut off your hands. We in North America would go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, time out. Huh? Yeah. Kid stole life. Bad kid. Wait, we're going to cut off his hands. What are you saying? It's okay to steal. Are you say it's saying it's okay to walk in someplace and take something that doesn't belong to you? No, I'm not saying that the kid should be disciplined, but we're talking about cutting up. We're cutting a cut off his hands. There, there has to be an issue of a measured response to something that happens when something happens. A measured response. Are we saying, and I'm not saying yes or no, I'm asking the question. Are we saying that 
saying something as stupid and as damaging as he did six, seven, eight years ago, are we saying a measured response to that is taking his lifelong career away from him? Is that a measured response? Maybe some people would say it isn't. Maybe some people would say it is. But I think it's something we at least have to ask is, is that a measured response? And and I don't, because listen, I'll tell you right now, this guy's never going to work again. He's never going to, I'm not saying whether he should or shouldn't. I'm just telling you, he will not recover from this. Harley Sawyer will never work again in this business. Now, at least not on screen, not as an actor, not on the thing that was his lifelong dream. He won't, he won't be able to recover from this. So that's one side of my brain. And, and I'm telling you both sides of my brain because I want wherever you are on the issue, whether you're on the issue of fire him, whether you're on the issue of not fire, on the side of not fire him, I'm just hoping we can get all of us to at least understand why other people might be on the opposite side of the issue from us. Okay, that's, that's all I'm bringing this up for. So that's the one side of my brain. The other side of my brain, though, looks at it a little bit differently because the other side of my brain that's warring with that side of my brain is this. Look, you are in business to make money. Some of you watching the show right now own a small business. Maybe it's a hobby business on the side. Maybe it is your full-time job, but many of us have a business, right? And why do we hire employees? We hire employees to help us make more money. That's why you hire an employee. You don't hire an employee for the fun of it. You hire an employee because you believe having their efforts and their work will help you and your company make more money. That's why you have an employee. So the question then becomes, what happens if that employee no longer contributes to you making money, but that employee Mm -hmm. actually becomes a liability to you and starts costing you money and costing you business. Take all the emotion out of it. From a strict business point of view, what do you do with that employee? An employee who no longer is helping you make money, but they're actually becoming a detriment and a liability to you and is actually going to cost you money. What do you do? I'll tell you what. Let's say you own a house and you got a front lawn. Your time is valuable. You don't have time to mow the lawn. So you hire Eric, the, the kid up the street who plays on the high school football team. You hire Eric to come on over and mow your lawn because it's worth it to you. you your time is money. You need your time for other things. So you hire this cub kid to come and, and mow your lawn. Great. But let's say that every time Eric comes over and mows your lawn, he dings your car. He runs into your car with the lawnmower sure. and he scratches it. And then, and then he forgets to go through the lawn first to pull out any stones. So he's mowing your lawn, gets in the lawnmower, shoots it out, breaks your front window. It's just every single time Eric comes over to mow your lawn, it ends up costing you money. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to fire Eric. You're going to fire Eric. That's what you're going to do because you're in business and you hire employees to make your money. And if your employee becomes a liability, Forget emotion, forget whatever. It's just business. You're going to remove the employee. And so on the one side of my brain, I'm thinking, hey, look, the, is firing him and taking away his career, is that a measured, uh, appropriate response? Or is it like cutting off the hands of somebody who, who steals a pack of lifesavers? But on the other side of my brain, I'm also like, well, look at it from the, the as a business. None of us can deny, including me, including you, none of us can deny 
that this stuff that's now come out about Hartley is going to hurt that show. It is. It's going to hurt that show. And so as a as an employer, as a business person, you have to I, I can understand them wanting to unemotionally just step back and say it's it's X's and O's. Is having this guy now continue to be on our show, is that going to be damaging to us? Is he going to cost us money? Are we going to lose sponsorships? Are we going to have a bunch of people angry? And and you make the decision to part ways with him. I get that too. Because at the end of the day, you need to protect your business. You need to protect your business. And so I have these two sides of my brain that... I'm not really sure what I feel about it. In the in the in the bottom line question of should they have fired him? And again, I encourage everybody to go and find the tweets that he wrote, not just the one or two that are just kind of floating around. I'm talking about all the other ones that even the trades won't reprint, won't repost. But go and find and make a decision for yourself. I have to admit, I am undecided. I'm undecided on the whole question of yes, they should have fired him. No, they shouldn't. I'm still having a tug of war in my head about this. But Rob, it raises a couple of questions to me. It raises a few questions to me. One of the questions that it raises for me is the idea of what is Warner Brothers? What's the best way for me to put this? What is Warner Brothers policy? You know, Warner Brothers, of course, owns CW. They're ultimately the main corporate overlord here. What is Warner Brothers policy here? Because I'm a little bit confused as an audience member, because on the one hand, I see them taking action to fire this actor off the show because he did something. And again, I, I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with them. Fire. I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm undecided so far what I think, but I'd like to see a little bit of consistency from Warner brothers, because while on the one hand, we see them firing this guy for, for really inappropriate tweets that he did. We've got another actor of theirs, Ezra Miller, actually on video choking a woman and taking her to the ground. And they have said nothing. Now, again, much like the, the Flash situation, I'm not saying they should fire Ezra Miller, and I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not saying that. But I'd like to see a little bit of consistency from Warner Brothers here. It's like, okay, so one guy tweets something. It was horrible, and I don't know whether you should fire him or not, but you decide to fire him. Okay. You got another big star, well, who's a much bigger star than the other guy. You got Ezra Miller on the one hand. You've got video of him choking a woman and taking her to the ground. And you've said nothing. There hasn't been a single statement that's come out from Warner Brothers, from Ezra Miller, from his PR people. Not a single statement about it. So I'm just sitting here. Now, again, what they should do in each situation I have no call in and I have no dog in that fight, but I'm just saying I'd like to see from Warner Brothers a little bit of consistency in what their policy is. We'll fire you for this, but we don't fire you for this. We suspend you for this, but we don't suspend you for that. I just want to see some consistency here. Tell me, Warner Brothers, what is your policy on this? What's your policy? And then just let us see you sticking that policy, whatever it is. I, I would just be curious to know. But Rob, the other thing that this gets me going on is this, that I do not understand the stupidity of a lot of these studios because I will tell you right now, even at AMC, right? When I, and just something, we were a piddly little YouTube operation. 
a piddly little YouTube operation who at the time maybe had, I don't know, 100,000 subscribers or something. Like we were minute. But I would get into the habit of when we were looking, when we thought we decided on somebody we were going to hire, I would take a quick perusal of social media to see if there was any red flags. And I remember one time, this one girl we ended up hiring, there was something in their social media that was a little bit concerning. And before I gave the final thing to hire them, talk to them one more time. And I said, hey, look, uh, I just, I need you to walk me through something because I came across this in your social media. It's a little bit of a red flag for me. Walk me through this. What, what, what was going on with that? And then we talked about it and I'm like, okay, great. So do you want the job? You're hired. Now, I partially did that because I knew that I had to be able to later on, because there's a bunch of piranhas online, if that thing that they had posted on their Facebook page ages ago had come up, somebody was going to make an issue out of it. And I needed to be able to say, yeah, I know about that. Me and they, them, we talked about it. We, and I felt very comfortable with their answer to it and where they are now because I knew about it and we had already addressed it. Boom. Because I had to be able to kill it before it ever got started. How a studio or a television production company, this, I, I will never understand this, Rob. <clears throat> you are investing tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars into these movies and TV shows and these properties. These properties are worth tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. They spend millions of dollars on insurance and safety protocols, but they can't spend 500 bucks to hire a college intern to say, hey, we're thinking about hiring this person to be one of the faces of our show. Take the weekend and go through their Twitter history and just let us know if there's any red flags. So we can either walk away from hiring them if we think it's going to bite us in the ass, or we can talk about talk with them about it now so that if it comes up later, we can say, yeah, we knew about it and we've already discussed it with them and we felt comfortable with the results of our discussions. How they can spend this much money and not spend 300 bucks on a college kid to just to say, hey, let us know if there's any red flags. I don't get it. Social media is not some brand new thing that just popped up yesterday. And this isn't the first time that a studio has been compromised because, of course, there was the James Gunn situation as well. That a studio hasn't been compromised because of this. I just don't understand this. And we're always going to see it happen and pop up because there are skeletons in everybody's closet. There are skeletons in everybody's closet. Maybe it was something you put on Twitter. Maybe it was something you said in person in a conversation. But you didn't realize it got recorded. But whatever, we've all said, we've all got these skeletons in the closet and why these studios don't take tests, don't take steps to say, hey, let's find out what those skeletons are now. Let's vet this potential actor. So not necessarily so we don't hire them, but so that if there is anything that's problematic, we know about it now and we'll know how to deal with it if it ever becomes an issue in the future. Seems simple to me. I, I, I don't understand why they can't, can't do that, but we've all got skeletons in the closet. I want to give you guys an example I'm going to throw myself out here on this. I want to give you guys an example of the fact that we've all got this. I want to talk about a situation with me. And some of you may have heard of this. I think most of you probably haven't, but I want you to hear this from me, <clears throat> especially in today's environment and stuff like this. But I, I want to tell you about this. This is, this is me being about as vulnerable as I get. All right. About 11 years ago, 
Uh, I was a big fan of the first Transformers movie, the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. I was a big fan of it. And then the second Transformers movie came out and it was awful. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. And I was really upset about it because I love Transformers. and I was really upset with how bad it was. But one of the things about Transformers 2 that really bothered me and I and I went off on it in my Twitter or not on my Twitter, on my on my movie review. I remember this is, I think this is in 2009. This is around 2009. One of the things that really bothered me about that movie was Michael Bay introduced these two twin Autobots. You remember these guys, the two little twins that they never used again. But, and what really bothered me was even as somebody who wasn't like some socially conscious guy, I like, I, I've never been that guy. I've never been some height of socially enlightened guy. I've never been that, especially at that time. But what, one of the things that really bothered me was it felt like Michael Bay found every single negative black stereotype that he could possibly dig up. Like, seriously, I, I lost, I, I don't know what negative black stereotype you can come up with that they didn't use to use for these two twin, twin Autobot things. And it, it was, even as somebody who's not socially conscious, that really bothered me. And it bothered me so much that in describing how I felt Michael Bay was trying to portray these guys, I... John Campia used the N-word in that review. I did. I did it. Now, I encourage anybody who wants to know the context of it to go back and watch the video. It's still up because I decided I would never take it down. I decided I need to leave it up there. I decided I need to own it, and it needs to be there. So it, it was much like an unto, like, say, some non-Italian guy being mad at the use of negative Italian stereotypes and saying, oh, director, though, you just had to have your greasy wop in there, didn't you? You know what I mean? What? I, I use, I know, I'm Italian. Um, so I use the <clears throat> N-word in kind of expressing my disdain for what it was they were, how were they portraying these characters? Because at the time... I justified it in my own head thinking, oh, it's perfectly okay that I use the word because I'm saying it in a good context. You know, we all justify what we do. And in my own head, to me, yeah, that was a justifiable use of the word. I was okay to use that word. Of course, later on, I realized, hey, Campia, it's not your place to decide when it is and isn't appropriate to use that word. But at the time, my thinking was, oh, yeah, it's, it's cool that I'm using the word here because of the context. I was angry at the misrepresentation of black culture in our country. I was, I was angry at the use of negative black stereotypes in this, and I was, it pissed me off, and I used the N-word. <clears throat> I did. And I didn't even think about it. You know, I did it, and... None of my audience, none of my white, black, Asian, whatever audience raised a single objection to it at the time. And I gave it no more thought. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, a couple of years later, like two or three years later, one of my regular viewers who happened to be black, one of my regular viewers wrote in one of his regular emails into me, said, you know, I went back, I, I just stumbled, went back to watch, because Transform, another Transformers movie was coming out. They're like, I went back to watch that old review, and, and I forgot 
because it didn't bother me at the time, but I forgot that you used the N-word in that. And I just wanted to let you know that it this time, seeing it again, it didn't sit well with me. I, I'm paraphrasing him. That's not the exact wording he used, but it didn't sit well with me. And when I got that email from him, my first reaction was what a lot of us do. My first reaction was, I didn't write anything yet, but I read it and I immediately felt defensive. It's not like, what are you talking about? I was being the hero. I was like, you know, calling out, blah, blah, blah. And I, and, and I thought about him like, oh shit, you know what? He's right. He's right. But nobody had put that in context for me before. So I remember I wrote him back and I said, you know what? I've never thought twice. I haven't thought about this in like two years or however long it had been. I'll, I'll take it down. I'm going to take the review down. And then he wrote back. He said, no, no, no. I'm not asking you to, to take it down. I'm just saying, can you please make sure that you never do that again? Because I hadn't in the previous two years. He just asked me, can you please make sure that you never do that again? And I'm like, yeah, you're damn right. You're damn right. I'm never going to do that again. It's not my place. I learned at this time seven or eight years ago. It's not my place to decide when it is or is not okay for me to use a term like that. It wasn't my place. And I learned something. Now, about five years ago, about five years ago, I was at AMC. I was still at AMC. It hadn't become Collider yet, I don't think. So somebody else had stumbled across that video that I decided to leave up, that Transformers 2 uh, thing that is still there and I will leave it there. And what they decide what somebody decided to do was to edit out the two second clip of me using the N-word. They didn't include anything else. They only included the two second clip of that and they popped it out on Twitter and said, hey everybody, look at what Campia said. Now fortunately five years ago, I was very lucky that most people who saw that remember my remembered my review and said, hey, you know, Campia was actually he didn't mean it in a derogatory way. He didn't all that kind of stuff, but it was still inappropriate that I used it. No matter how I justified it to myself at the time, 11 years ago, that it was okay that I used it, it was wrong that I used it. So that got shut down, mostly because most of the people who saw those tweets said, hey, you know, we understood what Campia meant. He didn't mean anything derogatory. So, so it got shut down. But about once every year or two since then, you know, somebody else will write to me. I just had another one of my viewers write to me and saying, hey, John, I just saw this. I just saw this tweet of you using the N-word. Again, it was the two-second video clip. We just saw this again. It's a little concerning. And, and I personally wrote back to them because he was African-American. And I wrote back to him and said, yep, yep, that happened. I said, but, you know, here's a link to my original review. I want you to go and watch it. And if you feel like after watching that review and hearing me say I was wrong for doing that at the time, uh, if you don't want to be a viewer of mine anymore after that, I understand. I do. Because I thought at the time it was totally cool. I justified it in my head. It was totally cool that I was using that word because I was using it the right way, Rob. I was using it the right way, said me. But years pass and you realize, you know what? No, that was not okay. That was not cool. And like to anybody today, maybe I'm sure a lot of you are hearing about this now for the first time. And maybe some of you are thinking, you know what, Campia, I, I, I love you, but you use the N-word in a video. It doesn't matter if it was 11 years ago. I don't know if I can watch you anymore. Then all I can say is, okay, I, I, I get it. I get it. But, you know, I think that just highlights again, Rob, that we live 
in a time right now where it's skeletons are being dug out of closets. And maybe it's good sometimes that we become aware of them. Uh, maybe it's being done by, there's a lot of people out there right now, Rob, who are, who are weaponizing social media, who want to use social media as a weapon, as opposed to a community building tool. Um, but I tell that story just to reemphasize the, the fact that we've all got skeletons in the closet. Maybe ones you don't even remember. And Rob, it's to the point that I have in the last week or two, I have been giving serious consideration to just deleting my Twitter, just deleting it and staying off it, thinking there's nothing good that comes out of Twitter these days. People just use it to weaponize it and to attack each other and to dig skeletons out of closets. Maybe there's skeletons that need to be aired. I, I don't know. But this whole thing about the flash firing and, and all that kind of stuff, it 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 just reminds me that despite what some people will tell you, times change and they change faster today than they ever have in history. And we develop new experiences. And as we have new experiences, we change and we learn and we grow and we evolve, hopefully. And again, it leaves me in a place of, should they have fired this guy? I still don't know. I could see the argument for not firing him. I could see the argument for firing him. So I don't know. But I just want everybody that when approaching a thing like this, let's not do what I normally do, what most of us normally do, which is a quick knee-jerk reaction and just pause and think about the larger stuff. Do we have skeletons in our closets? What is an appropriate response? Hey, this company's trying to do a business and this was going to cost them money. I, I mean, it's there's, there's just, it's such a tangled web, Rob. That everybody wants you to say, what side are you on? Tell me right now, what side are you on? And I'm going to say, look, I, I, I honestly, I think this is a complex issue and I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't gotten there yet. Anyway, Rob, uh, as somebody totally foreign to the concept of getting in trouble on Twitter, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, had to, I had to say, it. I'm sorry, I had to say, it. but no, but, but honestly, you, you look at, do, at this point, do you think this kid should be fired? Can you see why he should? Can you see why he shouldn't? I, I know. Just give me your quick thoughts on this. Well, first of all, I, you know, I think, like you said, everybody's got a life. Everybody's got a past. And I would hope that people are judged on the character that they represent and show now. You know, it, it, when our, our justice system, if you are incarcerated for a crime and you pay your debt to society, you know, when you come out, it's always iffy. Like if somebody is a felon or something, do we allow them to come back into society? Even if after they've paid their debt, do we wipe their slate clean? Because isn't that what our justice system is supposed to do? Even though that never really happens. But I think that, you know, we live in an age which, which it's weird that people want to play this gotcha game. Ah, gotcha. You know, and I, and I think that I, I have never, uh, judged people by things I've heard that they've done in the past a long time ago or something. I try and judge people as I know them now. And if I've had a, a good relationship with them or we've worked well together and, and uh, because everybody, like you said, has a past and like, you know, that would be like, are you going to, how far back do you go? Do you go and judge somebody, something they might've done in the seventh grade that was stupid and they're 47 now? 
Like, how far do you go back? And, and, you know, at some point, people have to stand up and be judged or you for who they are. Now, those tweets, and there were a lot of them, were, were stupid. In my case, uh, my tweet was was ill-advised. It was stupid. But like what happened to you with with somebody, so often people take things out of context and then they get mad at what they see out of context. And it, it appears, I think, worse than it, than it does. Like in my case, obviously, I, was, I, t- I retweeted a video that went with what I said. And if you hadn't seen the video, it looked like what I was saying was a little unhinged. I'll admit it. I mean, it looked like I was a little crazy. And people are like, are you advocating for this kind of thing? And, and I'm, I, I thought that was odd, but I didn't realize that a lot of uh, that the video was gone. And my original tweet when I took it down after being asked to take it down, by the way, was then it was retweeted, but also without context. So what I had said got amplified in a way that I didn't even mean it to amplify it that way. It was still was a very ill-advised tweet. Uh, and that's on me. I, I said a really stupid thing in anger. Never a good thing. But, but, you know, the rest of your life should stand for who and what you are. And I think in the case of, of, of your your tweet and in the context or your your review, you know, you said it in a certain context. So people look at it and go, are we going to get mad for a word that you've used one time in a way that you're trying to make a larger point that's actually a productive point? And, and what if you had, and that's the thing I think is strange. Now, this actor in The Flash, it was not just one tweet. It was a lot of tweets and, and there are certain commonalities and certain themes, but now also, you know, when you're a kid, you're, you well, at least younger, uh, Mr. It's Mr. Hartley. Is that his last name? Um, yep. uh, Hartley's you know, his first name. Sawyer's his last name. Oh, I'll probably Har- oh, right. Harley. So you, you know, when you're a teenager, you say a lot of nasty shit. Oops, I've now I've just said shit and I, I didn't mean to. But um, you say stupid, bad things. And like when we were growing up, John, there was no Twitter. There was no social media. So do you crucify somebody for stupid stuff they said 10 years ago? And like imagine if you're 30, I don't know how old he is, and you're being pilloried for something you said a third of your life ago, that doesn't – what about the growth that you've done as a person? And, and what does it say about us that we're digging around in people's pasts, trying to find things simply to go after them? I mean, but the point you're making, Sam, I have two minds about it, because the point you made early on about money and your job and representing a company and what you're doing, because that also played into what happened to me. And um, that's very valid. You know, a company is like, we can't have this. It's tarnished our image of something we spend millions of dollars on. And and it's, it's a tough question. I think in the long run, um, I would like to see companies, I would like to see people uh, step up and have the conversation because we still are in an evolving time. And, and how are we going to move forward as a society if we can't it, now it's all or nothing you know there, there's no discussion there's no nuance it's like boom this person's gone and like you said his career's ruined did he deserve that i mean i don't know maybe he's really that that person in real life 
maybe those those tweets are representative of him. I don't know him, so I can't say. But when they're out there, they have to be dealt with. And like you said, as a company, what is Warner Brothers policy? And and I think it's always best to get out in front of these things and address them head on. You know, you and I talked after I made this tweet and like an hour later, I took the tweet down and I made an apology video. I didn't even wait until the backlash happened to me. I apologized because it was the right thing to do. But part of the reason was because you and I had a conversation, you know, and, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, that was dumb. And, uh, and I did that and I, I had to suffer the consequences and all that, which I've, which I have done and I regret what I did, but still, you know, it was dealt with, I thought handled by the people that I, I talked to you and other people I know and, and all that. And, and also my life and work stands for something and you can go back and look at it and make up your own mind. But I was lucky in that I got out of something like that. Uh, I headed it off and, and I addressed it immediately. And um, I just think in this day and age, we have to be mature. We have to be adults and we have to realize, and I'm not saying, do I absolve anyone of their guilt? No, but I mean, are we gonna burn people at the stake and, and destroy their life forever? I guess it depends what you say. Um, sometimes maybe people do deserve their lives to be destroyed over something, but it's a tough issue. But I think that we should, we need to learn how to deal with this because social media is going to go on and on and on. And, and how are we going to move forward as a society? And these are tough questions and they need to be asked and, and they need to be debated and dealt with. And uh, again, I think that it just highlights this. It's complicated, right? It's very complicated. complicated. It's, it's not as simple I think we as human beings, we, we want to make everything as simple as possible. You know, keep it simple, stupid. And normally that's a good philosophy, but there are there are some things like this that are tough. So listen, guys, I I wanted to put it out to you guys and and ask you, what did you think? I, and I asked people, I put this out on Twitter. This is kind of our question of the day. Ask people, you know, Flash actor uh, Hartley Sawyer has been fired from the show for past offensive tweets. If you have seen them. Do you think they should have fired him? And it, it, you can see it's close. Twenty, Almost 2,400 people have voted on this, and 58.5% say no, they shouldn't have fired him. 41.5% say yes, it's relatively close. You know, it, it is a complicated issue that I, I just hope that whichever side you're on on this, you will take a breath and and try to understand where the other side might be coming from. And, and like for me, myself, I'm undecided. Question is, guys... It's a mess of a situation. It, it's terrible. What do you guys think about this whole situation? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move into our live questions part of the show. Again, once again, if you guys want to send in live questions, you can just use the uh, tip link that's in the top of the description of this video. You can just click on that or go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv. But before we do, we're going to get a quick start on answering these questions with a little help from our friend John from Earth 2. So let's get started by taking the live questions, some of the earlier ones that got sent in by John from Earth 2. Let's take it away. Hello there, guys. Earth 2 John here, and let's get right into your question, shall we? Uh, Connor writes in, I watched Amelie 
fabulous freaking film. One of the first films I ever gave a 10 out of 10 to. Uh, due to you and Rob recommending it, I nearly cried when she helped the blind guy cross the street. It's on HBO Max. I plan on watching Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress, Roshimon, uh, and 47 Ronin uh, on their next. I hope you can get it soon, my dude. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the big frustrations for me, even on Earth 2. I, I, I can't get HBO Max. You know, it's just, it's, we've talked about it last week, granted, but, you know, how do you plan for years to launch this service and not have it ready to go on the two largest streaming platforms in the world with Roku and Amazon Fire? I don't understand. Now, even I, having a Roku, there is a workaround that people like me can do. Like I can get it as a sub subscription on another service, but that's not how I want to have my service, my streaming services laid out. I just want to be able to open my Roku. There's all my services, click on the one I watch and start watching it. And I've been so excited for HBO Max because they do have maybe not everything they were kind of hoping to have when they launched, but they have an impressive library and geez, you know, it just would be great if me and the millions of other people who have Roku could just access it. So come on, guys, get your act together. All right, thanks a lot for that, Connor. All right, next up, we've got Otto from 3MIB writes, Hey, John, celebrating my 49th birthday with you. Happy birthday, man. I trust you had a terrific day and a terrific year in front of you, my friend. I enjoy all the references to the comic book lore, and I'm impressed with your comic knowledge, where Rob's gotten even better than me. Uh, I agree with you that the X-Men could carry a universe all to itself. Let's see Alpha Flight on the big screen. Of course, Alpha Flight is a Canadian-based uh, mutant hero team. Again, listen, everybody gets mad when I talk about it, but I still, I don't care that people get mad about it. I think it makes the most sense, right? You got now X-Men coming over. The X-Men universe, if you will, has hundreds of characters, right? Does the MCU need them? No, the MCU doesn't need X-Men. Look, Kevin Feige's already talked about, it. he's got five years planned of the MCU without any X-Men. Five years of films he's got planned without X-Men or Fantastic Four or, or Deadpool, whatever. He had five years worth of movies and programming planned without them. They've got so many characters in the MCU, they don't even know how to make room for all of them, right? Now you introduce X-Men. I just still think to this day, although I know they won't do it, the X-Men will end up in the MCU. But that doesn't change the fact that I just think it would be a better idea to keep the X-Men in their own cinematic universe. So their hands aren't tied narrative-wise to what's going on in the MCU. There's They've got plenty of characters, and I just kind of feel like we're going to get a lot less X-Men than we could if they just had them in their own separate universe. Again, I know a lot of people disagree with that, and I know Kevin Feige will do a good job. I know he'll do a good job with them. I just kind of think it would be better if they kept them separate. It just seems to make most sense to me, but I know that's not what's going to happen, so I just got to get over it. All right, Connor writes... I watched Amelie on HBO Max. Due to you and Rob recommending. Did we not just talk about this? You liked the question so much you sent it in twice, Connor. All right. Next up, Michael Bradley writes. Hello, John. Watched Broken Arrow and Face Off. I get a big kick out of both of these films. And Face Off, both John Travolta movies. Uh, for the first time this weekend. Exciting, goofing, fun. Next up will be gone in 60 seconds. One of my... Well, first, I like Face Off more out of the two. Face Off is such guilty pleasure. I love that movie. So many memorable lines in it. But there's this one part in Broken Arrow. It's got Christian Slater in it too, by the way. There's this one part in Broken Arrow where like, they're describing what's going on. Basically, a nuclear missile's gone missing. right? And the code name for a nuclear missile going missing is a Broken Arrow. 
And I remember this one line in the movie that I just remember thought was hilarious is, I don't know what's more worrying, a missing nuke or the fact that it happens so often you actually have a name for it. I just remember thinking that was great. Two good, good, goofy, fun movies to sit down and watch. Well done, Michael. All right, next up, Connor writes. I'm super bummed uh, that the Green Knight, that's the one with Dev Patel, uh, that the Green Knight still doesn't have a release date because of the suck-ass COVID. A24 is great, and so is Dev Patel. I've never seen an Authorian horror movie. I'm most hyped for this. Dune and the French Dispatch, Eternals 2, before it moved. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, but the Green Knight, again, the one with Dev Patel, is such an interesting-looking movie. Because I remember when the trailer first dropped, God, it feels like six months ago now. Maybe it was longer. I can't even remember. When the trailer for for The Green Knight dropped, it just, I don't know, it just had a really weird feel to it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It was just a very weird, twisty kind of feel. And you're right. It definitely has that kind of roundtable meets psycho horror i I mean it's it's supernatural kind of horror it is the weirdest thing but i remember i was instantly attracted to it and uh, to this day i i still haven't seen it i know a lot of my friends have seen it already but i have not had a chance to see it and i'm very excited about it all right jeremy uh bell bell poets writes Hey, John, I'm glad you started watching Avatar. What are your thoughts so far? The first season is slow, but seasons two and three are top tier writing and story. It's my favorite show ever. Well, I just got through the first season. I just finished season one that ended with the Siege of the North parts one and parts two. Um, I like it. Now, I did say that I th- I found it, you know, after I got through the first four or five episodes, I found it a little more childish than I was expecting it to be. Um, but Then again, I had a lot of you guys warn me in advance saying, John, just so you know, when you start watching it, the first season is a little bit more kid targeted. I mean, it's a kid targeted show, but it gets more mature and really more deep as you get into seasons two and three. So I finished season one and I enjoyed it. I'm I'm liking it so far. I particularly love the young prince and his uncle from the Fire Nation. They're they're still my favorite characters um, in the show so far, but I, I have enjoyed it. I thought the season finale was a little bonkers. Like with the moon spirit and all that kind of stuff. It was a little bit bonkers, but whatever. I, I'm into it. The base mythology of that world, I find incredible. The, the mythology of what the airbender, or not the airbender, but rather the avatar is. The cycling through, it's it's every incarnation is a representation of one of the different kingdoms. And it goes through that cycle. I find that whole thing fascinating. So I am very curious and intrigued about getting into season two. Because that's where everybody tells me it really starts to pick up and i already like season one the way it is so i'm very much looking forward to getting into season two all right let's see uh russell amador writes hey john not quite sure how grain of salt to take this with uh this with uh this one but according to the direct uh when we talked about this john from earth one talked about this earlier in the show uh, matt reeves plans on introducing new joker and sequels and this was probably expected at some point but i've been clamoring for more batman versus joker and again we talked about that one a little bit earlier uh, again take it with a giant grain of salt and and again we all knew a joker would be brought into this world so it feels a little bit like a spaghetti against the wall thing but again we talked about that one a little bit early in the show russell all right next up a man nicknamed pooh bear writes 
I think you have started or stated in the past that you stopped reading or listening to Star Wars canon novels, but here's my top five bloodlines. That is a Claudia Gray one. And I like bloodlines. It's pretty good. It's not my number one by a long shot, but it's pretty good. Number two, Lords of the Sith. That is my favorite Star Wars novel is Lords of the Sith. I, I think it's by, I think it's by far and away the best one ever done. Uh, number three, Thrawn, which wasn't bad. Uh, four Lost Stars. That's my second favorite one of uh, the new canon stuff right below besides Lords of the Sith is um, Lost Stars, which is another Claudia Gray one. It's absolutely fantastic. I think it's better than her Leia or Bloodlines novels, to be honest with you. I, I just think it's better. Uh, Thrawn Treason, not bad. Uh, uh, Claudia Gray uh, is a special Star Wars writer. She's four for four. She's really good. And if there's anything to be excited about this whole new era of Star Wars, The High Republic, Claudia Gray was part of the writer's room of that. So if you're looking, trying to find something to be enthusiastic about, Claudia Gray being part, like a major part of that writer's room for setting up what the entire High Republic era stuff is going to be, that's something to be excited about in my opinion. All right, Murray Reich writes, Take this as a grain of salt, but I did uh, DM AMC customer service on Twitter, and they said they have no plans to discontinue the A-list membership when their theaters reopen, so they're so... Yeah, a lot of people have been asking recently, like when the theaters reopen, are they... Is AMC going to close down A-list? And I've been trying to tell people, it's like, look, I don't have any, any insider information from anybody at AMC, but of course they're still going to have A-list. Like... They're, the movie theaters are desperately going to need to get people back into the theaters. You take away A-list? I mean, the first people that will be in line to get back into the theaters are the ones who have A-list already, right? They're the ones who are going to come, buy popcorn and soda, and start generating revenue for, for the company. And they've already spent all their money on setting up, getting A-list established, getting a critical mass, number of people signed up for A-list, all that kind of stuff. They cannot afford to axe A-list. Like some people will be asking me, can they afford to keep doing A-list? No, they can't afford to not do A-list at this point. So yeah, I have zero doubt. Again, I have no insider information. So this is just me, my own analysis of it. But I have zero doubt that A-list, as long as AMC is still open, A-list will be there. So yeah, that I don't have much doubt about. All right, final question, guys. And then we're going to head back over to uh, John from Earth One. Diamond Dogs Puppy Rights. John, just finished Breaking Bad. I'm thinking about it more and more after it's complete. Favorite aspect of the show is the character development of everyone from season one till the series finale. Walt's actions determine everybody's fate. Wow. I mean, yeah, listen, Breaking Bad is not a top five all-time favorite show for me, but it is fantastic. And it is a top five for a lot of people. Actually, you'll probably find a lot of people that Breaking Bad may even be a top three all-time show for a lot of people. Again, it's not in my top five, but it's fantastic. And the it's all about development, right? It's all about development, about watching not just the main character, but each one of the characters evolve and then having real consequences to all the decisions all the different characters make along the way until you get to that crazy finale, which I never thought they would do to the main character in case some of you have what that they would do to the main character at the end that they did. I never would have thought they would have done that, but it is a tremendous, tremendous show. And again, like a lot of people would put that one in a top three of all time. All right, guys, listen, that's all the time for me right now. So now let's throw it back over to John from earth one to continue on with your questions. 
All right. Thank you so much, John from Earth 2, that handsome devil. All right. Uh, with that down, let's move on and keep taking your live questions here. Uh, next one up comes to us from Diamond Dogs Puppy, who writes, Furthermore, because you just talked about Breaking Bad, I saw El Camino. It was a solid epilogue to Jesse's story. Nowhere near the quality of the show, though. Uh, thought the car would play a bigger part in the movie's narrative. What would you say is your favorite Breaking Bad season? I normally, I, I go three myself. But Rob, I know you saw El Camino. What did you think about, uh, what did you think about El Camino? Well, you know, I really liked it, but it, it wasn't like, earth shattering and it didn't it, it I, I, but I, I enjoyed it and i'm like did we need to see that story no but i thought for what it was it was a satisfying it felt like a satisfying two-part episode of the show to me i liked it though i'm All glad right. i watched it favorite season of breaking bad probably the final season because yeah. i because of how it stuck that landing Right. I mean, I, I the way it all unraveled, it was so well done. Oh, I love that show. All right. Next up, we got uh, Luke1234 writes, was re-watching your behind-the-scenes gear video, and I was wondering, does the Roadcaster Pro act as a soundboard and record at the same time? I asked because I want to do podcasts, but I'm an idiot when it comes to tech. Ha -ha. Yeah, the Roadcaster Pro that I use as, uh, as my soundboard, it is a soundboard. It is an audio interface device. It is also a recorder. So yes, actually, if you had no computer, like I plug it into my computer via USB, I run all my mics into the Rodecaster Pro, and then I run that out through USB into my computer and record my sound that way. But if you didn't have a computer and you just had the Rodecaster Pro, yeah, you can plug in four mics and just record right onto the Rodecaster Pro with four different audio tracks, all individual from each other, and edit them separately. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful device. I cannot recommend it enough. I absolutely love it, Luke. All right, the Wakanda Forever writes, Ladies of the Silver Screen, Angela Bassett, Halle Berry, Tamara Dobson, uh, Eartha Kitt, Jennifer Hudson, Tina Turner, Whitney Houston, Zoe Saldana, Grace Jones, uh, Grace Jones, uh, Megan Good, Lisa Bonet, uh, who is, of course, married to Jason Momoa, uh, Jada Pinkett-Smith, uh, Vanessa Williams, and Queen Tifa, you are all queens. There are some great ones in there. I'm not. I, I don't know why Lisa Bonet. I don't know if she just chose to step away from Hollywood because of family and stuff like that. But she was in a season of Ray Donovan recently, Rob. That I thought a couple of years ago, and she was awesome in it. Like she oh, was yeah. really, really great. I, I don't know why. I honestly don't know why she's not around more. To be, I, I really think she should be more, unless she just wants to be more of a family person. Now. I don't know. Anyway, Marty writes, "Thanks for everything, but particularly acknowledging the merits of Black Lives Matter. This is the first time I have ever supported a YouTube channel, so thank you again." Well, I, I thank you for that. And listen, it's not. I, I, uh, thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say to that, but but thank you. I appreciate that, man, very much. And thank you for being here and being a part of our community, Marty. Joel writes, hey, John, did you see that the CW fired uh, Hartley Sawyer from The Flash for racist tweets he made eight years ago? It's like the James Gunn incident all over again. There are there are some similarities, definitely. There are some also some dis things that make this situation a little distinct from that one. But but yeah, as of course, we've just already addressed it ad nauseum, Joel. But thanks for writing that in, man. Lewis McGee writes, it's my birthday on Friday. And even though I'll be in isolation, I'm excited for a day watching all those new releases. How much do you think the releases on VOD are going to impact the film releases post COVID? Not much at all. Uh, will we see more VOD content than we're used to? Mm, I, I don't know about that. But Rob, you know, the other day, we were talking on we were talking on the show that this week, this Friday, three big projects come out on VOD. We got Disney Plus's Artemis Fowl. We've got Netflix's Defy Bloods. 
And we've also got, uh, oh, why am I freezing on the last one? I just talked about it yesterday. It was the five bloods that, and I can't remember what the third one was. Why am I? Oh, oh, that's right. The King of Staten Island. So King of Staten oh, right. Island, Five Bloods, and um, and Artemis Fowl all coming out on Friday. Which I'll is watch actually, all of them, too. I'm I, looking I, forward I, to all of them. But let me ask yeah. you, Rob, if you had to only pick one to watch, which one would you watch? Five Bloods. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I, I think Spike Lee is, is a world-class filmmaker. I've been watching him. I mean, all the way back to his early films, like She's Gotta Have It. You know, I've I've just I've always liked his sensibility. And, you know, Spike Lee, people forget. Uh, and when I say diverse, I'm not speaking uh, in racial terms, but as a filmmaker, he's done a lot of like he did Inside Man. Remember that? Yep. I, the loved, movie Inside Man. I loved Inside Man. He also can go do, go do school days about a uh, black school or he can do do the right thing and, and, and Malcolm X. But then he'll go do like the 25th hour and he'll do Inside Man. And I, I just think he's he's a world class filmmaker. So he's one of the probably the, in, in my top five of filmmakers. I will always watch what they make. You know, he's coming just, off what what might be my favorite film of his. Like for the longest time, Do the Right Thing was my favorite film of his. I also really love Jungle Love, but um, but Black Klansman. It was my second favorite movie oh, of the year. I mean, I, dude, I, I, it's so good. <laughs> I love that movie so much. All right, let's keep moving so on good. here. Uh, Canada Rocks writes: Most likely, the studio did not push back on Johnny Storm, but did push back on Sue Storm because they didn't want an interracial relationship between her and Richards. I'd bet money this is the case, and it's pathetic. Josh would have been justified to walk. Okay, let's let's be very clear about something though. That's not what Josh Trank never said. That's why they didn't let him have Sue Storm. There are a bunch of people making that up and then running with it as if that's what happened. They, like, again, I went back and took a look again at the article that RB3 wrote uh, after his interview with Josh Trank, which is really well done. And I didn't see any Josh Trank never once from what I saw, unless I missed something. But I read the interview. I watched it again. Unless I missed something, Trank never once remotely alluded to it. So to say, I bet they didn't do it because of this and then get and then saying it's pathetic. Well, now you're getting mad at them for something you're guessing they did. Uh, again, it, the only thing that Josh Trank alluded to in that interview was that they probably wanted to go for the bigger name star. Like I, apparently it looked like Margot Robbie from what he was saying might have even been one of the people on the list they were looking at getting and coming off of like her success on House of Cards you got uh, Kate Mara. I mean, they decided to go that. All I'm saying is there is just be very clear. There is nothing in Josh Trank's uh, remarks that suggested that was the case, unless I missed something, which is always possible. So let's not get mad at a studio for something we are making up in our heads that they meant to do, but they didn't actually do. I again, unless I'm missing something clear, Trank never said that. It doesn't make the issue any better or any worse. I'm just saying, let's... Trank never suggested that was the case, but I'm seeing a lot of people running with that narrative right now when Trank never actually suggested that. So I just think we need to be careful about that. All right. Hideaway Killer writes, have you seen the Snowpiercer show yet? It's produced by John Favreau, Scott Derrickson, uh, Bon Ho. I'm liking it so far. The set design has been great. You can look at the 1001 car train online with over 1000 sets. Uh, the sky is the limit for stories there. I, I'll be honest with you. Nope. Haven't watched it. And, and I'll also be honest. I haven't really felt any inclination to watch it it doesn't look like something that appeals to me so i'm not saying it's not good i'm just saying i haven't watched it rob have you had a chance to see the snowpiercer show no but i like the movie 
I own, right. I own the movie. I have a steel book of that movie. Of course you uh, but do. I, but I haven't seen the I have not seen the series yet. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Jesse writes um, Avatar, the last airbender trivia. I, I just started watching the show. I have no idea. In season two, the recurring character, the Boulder, is an earthbreaking fighter who's based on Dwayne The Rock Johnson's wrestling persona and is voiced by another WWE superstar, Mick Foley. I did not know that. I, well, I did what I did notice, though, Rob, uh, watching Avatar The Last Airbender, is that I cannot remember the actor's name who just recently passed away. The actor from Star Trek D Space Nine who played Odo. Um, oh, Rene Aubergenois. Yes. I instantly recognize his voice in avatar the last better he does several characters he's he's done a couple of characters in that show and he's got one of those instantly recognizable voices but it's interesting to hear that uh, mick foley uh, does that you've you've watched avatar the last airbender right yeah and i well, liked it i i'm i'm just getting i'm just about to start season two today you you like avatar the last airbender yeah i do you know it was one of those things that i caught up with later um because people talked about it i like anime but i you know I, I'm a I'm a space mecha on like Robotech and or Macross and and Gundam and Space Battleship Yamato and all that stuff. So it wasn't up my alley, but you get sucked into that storyline. You really do. It's really, really well done. You're gonna like it. All right. Uh, I'm liking it so far. Next up, Jesse t writes, also, book two is my favorite season of Airbender. It's very much like The Empire Strikes Back of Avatar, even thematically. Can't wait for you to hear your thoughts. Well, I cannot wait to get started on it. Like I said, I'm going to get started on season two today. All right. Ryan Loner writes, since you've mentioned it a few times now, the Doctor Who actor you saw in the hat and scarf is Tom Baker. He was also the voice of ben the Bendu in Star Wars Rebels. I remember that's right, because I remember... After watching, like I was reviewing Star Wars Rebels episodes and we were talking about that episode and somebody actually wrote it and said, did you realize that was the voice of Tom Baker? You're right. I keep forgetting. That's the only Doctor Who I've ever watched was the Tom Baker Doctor Who. That's the only one I've ever watched. And I that was when I was a little kid. Um, but yeah, I remember somebody broke that up, but I keep freezing on his name when I try to remember. Thank you for the info on that, Ryan. All right. Uh, McClure7 writes, hope you're good, John. I am good. Thank you. What are your thoughts on the amazing... On the amazing for the time, Jeff Bridges de-aging in Tron 2. Love that film. Really want to see Jared Leto in the third film. I don't know that there's going to be a third film. Um, listen, I'll be honest with you. I am not a big fan of that movie. I didn't hate it, but I was not a big fan of that movie. I was kind of hoping for more. The de-aging was good, but man, it was stiff. Let's just say that. It 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 was stiff. It was stiff. You're right. Though at the time, Rob, we hadn't really seen anything really like that. Right. Uh, at the time, the Uncanny Valley was still very deep and wide. I mean, the Uncanny Valley was still there. But yeah, it was at the time, it was the most advanced example of doing that that I had seen yet. Right. Your thoughts. Well, you know, I'm a huge Tron fan. I made a feature length documentary about Tron that you can see on the Blu-ray. Uh, so I was excited to see Tron Legacy. And like you, I was left cold by it. I like Joseph Kaczynski. I liked Oblivion, but I thought there's something about that film that just, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, it doesn't, the parts are all there and Daft Punk's score is amazing. But even like you said, the Jeff Bridges aging was not convincing. I mean, it was when he wasn't moving, but as soon as he opened his mouth, that's where it sort of collapsed for me. But, and I want to love that movie. I own that movie. I own a 3D Blu-ray of that movie, but it's just, I've tried to watch it three or four times and it always leaves me cold john yep 
I mean, I'll, I'll watch anything with Olivia Wilde, of course, but uh, yes, it does. All right. Uh, Oogie Bouyas writes, like you, I also thought The Last Airbender was a kid's show. Always ignored it up until I was randomly scrolling through channels and saw an episode on book two where Zuko is fighting his sister. Thanks for the spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's on me. That show has been out for years. It's on me if I don't know it. Uh, as was fighting his sister. That fight caught my attention and began watching the whole series. Well, again, I'm just about to start season two. Prince Zuko. Actually, Zuko and his uncle Iro are my favorite characters in the show. I like all the characters. The Prince Zuko and, and Uncle Iro, there that's actually my I'm most intrigued by that side story than anything else. Um I, I you can almost make an argument that that's actually what Airbender is about, is about Zuko. But at least that's just coming from somebody who's only watched one season so far. Willow writes, Fantastic uh four took a nosedive in the second half, but I did actually like the relationship between Johnny and Sue Storm as adopted siblings. Kate Mara's wig was pretty bad though. I really hope that Chronicle isn't a fluke for Josh Trank. I agree. Like, I really like Josh Trank. I loved what he did with Chronicle. I have not had a chance to watch Capone yet. And yeah, Rob, I mean, several we've talked many, many times about uh Fantastic Four, but the funny thing is. Again, I think when you go back and watch that movie, I honestly thought the first act actually wasn't bad. And I was telling the story the other day that the first time I saw it, I was fully expecting a heaping pile of garbage for that movie to be. <laughs> but, you know, the first act happened and like me and Harloff looked at each other like this. This isn't bad so far. I'm like, yeah, right. It's this is actually OK. And then it went downhill from there. What did you think about? Was there anything redeemable about that movie to you? If not, at what point did it start to go downhill? What were your overall thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel the way you thought. I thought it started out as intriguing, but then it just kind of meandered around, and I didn't uh, all the choices. I what I what I find so strange is it 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 how did it fail the subject matter? Like the Fantastic Four has so many great comic stories to draw on, but reading the recent Josh Trank interviews, he really didn't want it to be like he wanted to turn Fantastic Four into something else. And rather than embrace the comic book origins and rather he I think he wanted to do something else with it. And I don't think it was successful. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, and then, of course, there was all the drama with the Fox interference and like right. which movie was uh, it's just that that whole movie was a mess. All right. Anyway, uh, Augie Boyes writes, if you end up liking The Last Airbender, then you'll like The Legend of Korra. In my opinion, it's just as good as The Last Airbender. It's the story of the new Avatar after Aang's adventures. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about Legend of Korra. But I always said, just make sure you never watch it until you watch The Last Airbender first. I'm like, all right. So going on to season two for Airbender now. Uh, Guy Fox JLT writes, hey, John, I saw you mentioned Lexi Alexander's Chris Benoit movie. Uh, Crossface is what it was going to be called. Do you think Lexi couldn't do it because she will face the Michael Jackson movie issues? I, I know. I think it's more of a rights issues. That has to, I think it's more of a, of a getting the actual rights in place that they need to get. And it's, listen, whenever you're dealing with a true story that involves a lot of individuals, corporations, people involved, the rights issues become a very, very tangled web. And I, I think, listen, with, with Chris Benoit, there's two, I think, unspoken truths that everybody acknowledges. Chris Benoit did something horrible, but also a lot of brain damage was probably part of what led to it and that's see, to me that creates for a fascinating story but i think my guess though guy and i haven't talked to lexi in a while i, I used to write back i should write drop lexi a note i haven't talked to her in a while but um 
I, I think that's probably what the holdup for that is or what ultimately killed it. It's like, you know, if we can't get the rights locked down, then there's no point. But yeah, at one point she wanted to make that movie and I think it could have been interesting. I think it could have been really interesting. Anyway, Alan Roberts writes, now that J.J. Uh, Abrams is going to take a shot at Kal-El, well, we don't know that for sure, but it looks like that. Would you like to see the universe set in a realistic tone, perhaps using the Nika caves in Mexico as the Fortress of Solitude and the Justice League lair? Also, maybe explain in depth scientifically Superman's powers. I know I don't. Here's the thing, Rob. I like more grounded stuff, but I don't think you need to explain O-Vision everything. Right. Right. I think there has to be in the fantastical. There has to be areas that are left unexplained. And that's the fantastical. That's the wonder of it. So, yeah, I, I want both. I want it to be more grounded like Man of Steel kind of was. But I still want his Fortress of Solitude to be at one of the polar tips. I still want that. You know, I and I don't want his. I, I, listen. The yellow sun, the radiation of the yellow suns interacts with his cells and his Kryptonian DNA in a certain way that gives him his power. That's all I need to know. I don't need it broken down any more than that. That's good enough for me. I don't know, Rob. How would you answer that? I feel the same way. I mean, these are their asks. It's it's look, there's enough there that it makes me believe it. That's what you need from this kind of stuff. As long as you are convinced that it's believable. And in the case of Superman, I think the idea of coming to a solar system that has a different sun, I think that I, I don't know how that works, but it works for me. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I don't know right. how this works, but it works for me. I like that. All right. Uh, next up here, Greg Scott Bailey writes one of four. Subjective opinion posts. So in comics, Fantastic Four number 299 was the very first comic book I bought for myself at around nine years old. That was it. I was hooked on Fantastic Four and Marvel. Fast forward to 2005 and we finally get a major film adaptation. But while I enjoyed it and follow and the follow-up sequel, I do feel like it was missing the core elements and key vibes from the comic that the comic had. Josh Trank's version also agreed that halfway through wasn't too bad, but missed more core elements and character development. This goes back to my feelings on J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot. While I do appreciate these films are adaptations, I feel like what made the MCU versions of comics work is the successful execution of the core concepts behind the characters and stories. Granted, as you've said, John, making a good film isn't easy, and I'm sitting on my butt at home as an armchair quarterback here, but I feel Feige and crew will find a way to capture those core elements with a fresh new take. I believe in Feige. Rob, let me ask you, you know, in relation to what Greg is saying here, what, are, what do you think might be some of the key things that has left all the Fantastic Four iterations up to this point? Well, let's use the word failure. They, they, they kind of failed. What do you think are the things that maybe work the key things that led to them not working? Well, wow, that's versus a really good question. What Kevin Feige will include that will make their uh, iteration of Fantastic Four successful. How do you see that? Because I know you you have a big appreciation for the characters. Yeah, I, I, I look the the the. I'll tell you something. You know, I was watching Jaws last night. And one of the things people forget about Jaws is that it shows a really happy, functional family. You know, uh, Sheriff Brody, his wife, their two sons. And at the core of that film, it's, 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 there's a family. And I think one of the things about 
the Fantastic Four is at its core, it's the story of a family. You know, you've got Johnny and Sue and Reed Richards and, of course, the uncle. I mean, let's call Ben Grimm the thing. You know, he's a friend. But but it's a family that gets involved with these the most outlandish and cosmic of situations. And I think that's a very difficult balance. And I don't think the Fantastic Four movies have done that well enough yet. They try and have the family, but you don't you don't believe it. You know, you don't, they, the, they, the family, the fantastical elements sort of overshadow. I, like, if I were to, this is such a weird thing, John, but if I were to pick a tone of a Fantastic Four movie, I would make it like Friday Night Lights with Coach Taylor as Reed Richards. Uh, that tone. And, and because it was naturalistic and the people were real. And, and if I could make a, I know this sounds weird, but if, if I could make a Fantastic Four movie, I would look to Friday Night Lights as the basis of the characters, because I just love Coach Taylor and his wife, and move from there. You know, you've got to, they just haven't made me believe yet. I haven't seen any Fantastic Four that I actually believe those characters existed in whatever world they're supposed to. They've all seemed like constructs. It's never worked for me. They've got a tall order ahead of them whenever it's they hard, do get man. around. And it's hard. Still, still people very excited about the idea, but maybe John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. What were you about to say? Well, I think the, the, the fact that they would be in it, uh, you know, watching them. Theoretically. I think they, theoretically. The, the, like that, theoretically. But I'm saying like their chemistry, the fact that they're actually married. I mean, I think. And seeing him in real life, I think they could bring what we need to this movie as actors and as people. Right. Depending on how the characters are written. But yeah, right. We'll, exactly. We'll see. All right. Just a couple more here, guys, while we got Rob here. Greg Scott Bailey follows up and writes, fun fact, Kevin Feige edition before MCU. Kevin Feige had various producer credits on the first X-Men, Spider-Man, Daredevil, X2, Hulk, The Punisher, Spider-Man 2, Blade, uh, Blade Trinity, Elektra, Fantastic Four, uh, uh, X-Men 3, Spider-Man 3, and Fantastic Four, The Rise of the Silver Surfer. Rob, like one of the things like I don't think for any of those films. Feige was like the creative executive in charge. No, but you know, prior to becoming the godfather of the MCU, he had a lot of experience working on a lot of different comic book movies, some good, some not so good, whatever. But I think all those experiences led him to having a really solid foundation through the successes and failures that really positioned him well to be the kind of the creative executive that he that he is now and i i think that's one of the things that contributes to him but you've talked a lot about his prior experience as a producer in mcu films i do and you know even though he wasn't the creative prime mover he certainly could observe firsthand what worked and what didn't i mean he began his career in hollywood working for people like richard donner you know and and so he really was a, he worked on i often say he worked on 13 marvel movies before the mcu all of them were wildly divergent in terms of how successful they were both as films and as adaptations of those characters and i'm sure he got a first-hand look at why things work and why they didn't and took all that he learned i mean how many producers got to work on 13 
movies of the same kind before they started their shared cinematic universe. And people wonder, I wonder what, why can't we duplicate his success? Well, he's the only person who ever existed in all of Hollywood history that worked on 13 movies, had that kind of training to see what works and what doesn't before they went over and created the MCU. No one else has done that. It's not like someone said, I got to work on 13 Star Trek movies before I finally came over and figured out what worked and created the Star Trek shared universe as much as I wish somebody would do that. I mean, that's look, I don't mean to drag us into a completely different, but that's like, that's part of the reason why I got frustrated. Like when Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm appointed, and I, I forget the, the, the woman's name, I forget her name right now. But they basically tap this new person to be in charge of live Mich- action stuff at Star Wars. Michelle Rejwan. Was that her name? I think and so, yeah. I, okay, so she's now the person in charge of all the live action Star Wars stuff. Okay, and I looked at her resume. She had been a producer on a movie that hadn't even come out yet. That's it. Her resume, then you look at that, it's like, okay, why is the MCU succeeding? Oh, look, they got Kevin Feige. Who had experience working as a producer on 13 different films. Some worked and some failed and he learned his lessons and he got a lot of experience and all. And he knew that word and they put him in charge of that. I don't know. This is one of the things. All right. Listen, last question we're going to ask here with Rob still here comes to us from the Canadian singing postie. Oh, this is Justin Welsh who wrote in one of two. Well, F you two. LOL. Kidding aside. I was floored when you put my clip um, as your uh, John Cabe show break. I'm not kidding that you have been a positive influence in my life. The team too. I'm glad to contribute to the fan film community. Did you see the Les Mis clip I did of empty chairs at empty tables? I certainly did because I'm a I love Les Mis. It's my all time favorite stage show. Uh, I knew you might like that one seeing as it's your favorite musical. Fingers crossed the movie theaters in Ontario open up for in time for Tenet. Rob, I know you saw this. So this for those of you who didn't watch yesterday Oh, I, I retweeted it a couple of times. Oh, did you? Okay, so there's this uh, one of our viewers, Justin Welsh, uh, who lives in uh, who lives up in the Toronto area. He's a, he works with Canada Post. He sent us a tweet um, where he was singing the song from Ragtime, and it blew me. And I played it on the show yesterday. For those of you who watched the show yesterday, I played it on the show yesterday. And it blew me away. So then he followed up and sent us another one of like empty chairs and empty tables. Anyway, so he sent us a, a thing of that as well, which which was great. And uh, we appreciated it very much, Justin. It, it, it was oh, awesome. It was uh, I dude. I got chills watching. You know what I loved about that video too the most is you see him in the video kind of looking over the side, like acknowledging. Oh, yeah, somebody was people, way talked to. Him. Yeah, there's people out there. Well, I mean, I can't imagine how if you were just a passerby or maybe somebody on his route, you know, and just stopped and saw him singing. That that had to have made your day. <laughs> you know, it certainly made my day. But but I I just love that. You know, there's people in the world that just innately are walking around with that kind of talent. They're just, you know, you never know. That That's what I said on the show. So it's like, it just reminds you that like, you never know. Everybody you see in the street, you never know. That person's probably got some mind-blowing talent and some mind-blowing skill that you just don't know about, right? So I, anyway, I really appreciate it. Anyway, Rob, listen, I know we've kept you a little bit over time. I know you got stuff you got to do, so we'll let you go at this point, and we'll continue on with all the questions here for now. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? <laughs> well, you can follow me on Twitter, John, <laughs> at <laughs> Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at uh, Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations, the show about something. 
All right, buddy. Thanks for being here, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow, man. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. All right, guys. With that down, we're going to keep on going with your live questions. We're, you know, we're going to go for a while. Normally, we like to wrap things up around two hours, but you know what? We're going to we're going to keep going. We're going to as long as my voice holds out today, we're going to keep going for the next oh, little there, while. Guys, the Earth questions. Two, John here. Why and did let's I hit get that? Right into you. I hit. The, I totally hit the wrong button. Do you guys want to see that my answer, my old answers already? We can go back to that. I totally hit the wrong button. Okay, let's keep on rolling here. The next one up uh, comes to us from. Uh, Flamio Hotman who writes so excited you're watching the last airbender I want to second that season one is more kid friendly though once it reaches book two it's some of the best storytelling and animation ever my op- my opinion of course Zuko and Uncle Iro are the best again I I I am actually more into like don't get me wrong I am totally into Aang's story and Suka and Katara and I'm totally into that story too I really really am that's the main story but I actually find myself more interested in the uh, Zuko and Iro story. I like I'm I'm Iro is maybe my favorite character in the show. Iro is maybe my favorite character in the show. So we'll see how that continues. I start watching season two later today as soon as I'm done this show. Uh, Flamio also writes, you'll have to let us know which type of bender you'd want to be once you've seen more of them in action. I'd want to be an earth bender. It's funny. I appreciate the show much more as an adult than I did as a kid. Right now, I'd have to say if I had to be one, I like airbending because it also gives you the gift of flight, which is funny because I have a fear of heights. But uh, with airbending, you also get the the gift of flight. So I would probably right now, I'd go with airbending. Firebending is very appealing too, but I'll wait till I get to the end of the series before I make a judgment call on that. Tristan Larison writes, best Avatar episodes, no particular order. Season one, episode 12, The, the Storm. Uh, season two, episode seven, Zuko alone. Season three, episode eight, the puppet master season two, episode 20, the crossroads of destiny season two, episode six, the blind band. Of course, I haven't seen any of these except for the season one stuff. Um, season three, episode five, the avatar and the fire Lord season, uh, two, episode 10, the library season one, episode 19 and 20, the siege of the North and the finale. Of course, I just watched siege of the North. I just watched parts one and parts two siege of the North. It gets a little trippy. Siege of the North gets a little trippy when they get into the moon spirit and stuff like that. A little trippy for me, but overall it was really enjoyable. Great rock solid ending to the first season. It made me very excited to see season two. All right. Uh, we move on here. Tristan Larson writes, it's incredible. It's incredible that from the start of the show, it was always about Zuko and Aang. Uh, they are the main characters. There are often episodes in which they are not ever on screen together, but both dealing with the same issues from different perspectives. Again, it's a narrative hook that they use in this show that I've been appreciating greatly, like really to, to a really, really strong degree. All right. Next up. Suthius writes, hey guys, from any actor slash actress who makes an appearance on a screen as a part of a theme park ride based on the movie they were in, how much do they get paid for said appearance or would that be a part of their movie salary? Just wondering if you knew. I think it's a separate deal. I think you have to arrange separate um, uh, deals for putting them in theme parks rides. So for instance, Daisy Ridley, she recorded a part for the new Star Wars uh, ride at uh, Disneyland, and I'm sure that's a separate deal. That's, that's most likely a separate deal and a separate contract. And how much do they get paid? Well, that would be dependent from person to person, from individual. How big is the star? Like Vin Diesel recorded stuff for the Fast and the Furious ride that's at uh, Universal Studios. So I don't think it's a part of the movie deal. Although, like in a contract, you can put anything in a contract. So really the bottom line here is I don't know. But it's most likely it's most likely a separate deal. 
it's most likely a separate deal and how much they get paid that would depend from person to person for sure all right next up kyle schroeder writes John, I think you might have missed the point about the black Sue Storm issue. It was fine for Johnny to be black, but when it came to Sue being, uh, when it came to Sue, they blocked it because of their relationship with Reed, a white man. That's Josh Trank was, that's why. Again, I, I've seen people, I went back and watched, now maybe I missed it, but I purposely went back and watched RB3's interview and read the article he wrote on geeksofcolor.com, and I didn't see anything that suggested that. I, I didn't see anything in Josh Trank's. Again, maybe I missed something. Um, and I'm sure many of you are, are will email me tons of things to show where he did say that. But every I didn't see uh, I didn't see anything in Trank's response that suggested that was the reason they didn't do it. Again, maybe I missed it. I, I just didn't see anything in there, and I rechecked it. But who knows? Sometimes things go over my head. All right, Ben Rayner writes. Hey, John and Rob, and welcome back. Looking uh, back, even though Ray, Kylo, Finn, and Poe were great, would you have enjoyed 7 through 9 more if they planned out uh, to close 9-film saga and focus more on Luke, Han, and Leia, uh, still having Ray and Co. just more in the background? It's impossible to say, because they could have written 7, 8, and 9 to be really focused on Luke, Leia, and Han, and they might have been terrible. Just because they used those characters doesn't mean it would have been good. It might have been terrible. It might have been awful, right? So, no, I can't say that. Look, it's all about execution. It's all about execution. It doesn't matter that they used, you know, Poe, Ray, and Finn. It's about whether you execute well. And I thought the first film was brilliantly executed. I don't care what anybody says. I think Star Wars The Phantom Menace was, or uh, um, uh, The Force Awakens, I should say. Star Wars The Force Awakens was fantastic. I loved it absolutely loved it audience scores are through the roof critic scores through the roof box office one of the few two billion dollar films in history brilliant wonderful fun film but eventually you start seeing the lack of a plan and that's where it starts to fall apart i still liked very much last jedi but it had it had issues that clearly were connected to them not having an overall plan and then by the time you get to rise of skywalker again you can you can wing it for a while, but eventually no plan catches up to you. And it be oh, that's why Rise of Skywalker to me was such a mess. It just became such a mess. But but no, I don't think, hey, if you had done this, again, you could have made Star Wars Episode 789 about Felipe the sentient dancing microphone, and it could have been brilliant if you executed it right. So yeah, I, I don't think just by making the films about Luke, Han, and Leia would have improved the chances of it being better. If anything, if they weren't great, it would have just made my disappointment even bigger. So I guess there's that. All right, next up, MD White writes, so glad I didn't have to start a pointless petition to have you watch Avatar The Last Airbender. I see that Zuko and Eero are your favorites right now, and rightfully so, especially Eero, but just wait until season two. You have another thing coming, man. That's what everybody's telling me. Everybody's telling me season two is when it really starts picking up, and I'm going to start season two today, so I'm very excited about it. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, one of two. Hi, John. Please help me understand. First James Gunn, then Kevin Hart, now Hartley. I don't like uh, with I don't like with what he said in those tweets, but it was six years ago. Uh, it was a different culture back then, and I'm sure he's grown. Where do we draw the line of firing an employee over stuff they said in a tweet years ago and was meant in jest or not hate, even if it was joke was in poor taste? Also baffled that it's Warner Brothers, same company that hired James Gunn after he was fired for the same um, and the same folks who haven't spoken about Ezra Miller. Well, listen, we we did address that a little bit earlier, anonymous, and again, look. 
You have to look at it from different. I get you take the emotion out of her a second. From a company's point of view, with all the things that he wrote, and and again, there there are there's a lot of things he wrote. A lot of things. Um, that's very uncomfortable. But in the things that he wrote, could the company look at that and say, "Yeah, this damages our company. This damages our brand. This damages who we are." And if you're gonna, you don't have an employee. If it's detrimental, if it's a liability to you. Now, you may not think it's the same thing, but the principle is the same. Let's talk about Eric, you're, you're the, the high school kid up the street who you have mow your lawn. You know, if you can have him there, but guess what? If he scratches your car and doesn't pick out the rocks in the lawn and the lawnmower shoots rocks through your windows and he, sp- he spills like gas and grease from the lawnmower onto your, onto your driveway that causes stains and like every time he comes over... And does something it 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 damages something of yours. It's Eric becomes a liability. He might be a great kid, but he becomes a liability. And you as an employer would cease having him as an employee if having him became a liability. That's business. That's how things work. You know, if you if you you know own an ice cream shop and you've got a kid in there working, he's a good kid. But every time the kid tries to do an ice cream cone, he breaks three or four cones before he finally gets one right. Well, guess what? Now that kid's costing you money. You're not making money by employing him. It's costing you money. You're damaging the reputation of your shop. People get frustrated that they keeps getting their ice cream order wrong, so they stop coming to your ice cream shop and they go to the ice cream shop across the street. Blah blah. Bottom line is you have employees to help your business be assets for your business and to make you money. And if you have an employee that becomes a liability to your business, that damages your brand and costs you money, then it doesn't matter what industry we're talking about. You're going to step away from them. Should that have happened in this situation? Again, I'm of two minds on this. I think does does the the punishment is that proportional to what was done? Do we have to when like how much do we have to keep in mind what was written and when and all that kind of stuff? So yeah, and the James Gunn thing because a template like I I really like I was okay that Disney let James Gunn go, but I just didn't like the way it happened. I didn't like that they pretended like they weren't aware of what was tweeted before. I didn't like that. They like acted on it within a few hours of those things coming out. I didn't like that they didn't take more time to stop and think about it. But at the end of the day, I said, look, I get it. If, if that happens, it damages their brand. If they want to part ways with James Gunn, fine. I was thrilled that they rehired him, but I got it. But you got to remember, there's two sides to everything. And that's why everybody's going to be mad at me and, and attack me for saying that I don't really have a position on this guy yet because... I just think there's a lot to wade through and a lot to consider and a lot to think about. And it's a tough situation, man. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's an absolutely, absolutely tough situation. But I agree. I would like to see some kind of statement from Warner Brothers to say, what's your policy here? Like, why? And I'm not saying I agree or disagree with how you handled this kid from The Flash. But why does he get fired very quickly? And again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it. But over here, you've got video of Ezra Miller grabbing a woman by the throat, taking her ground, and you've said nothing about it. I I mean, I would like to see some consistency from Warner Brothers in that. What's your policy? 
Well, Ezra Miller's a bigger star, so we let it go because he's a bigger star. Okay, hey, listen, if that's your policy, okay, then that's your policy. I, I would just like to know, how does Warner Brothers say we handle one situation one way and another situation completely differently? So, I, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting question, man. It's one that I think is going to be raised and asked a, a bunch over the next little while. All right, Mandalorian of Gondor writes, Greetings, John. Uh, insanely loved your Man of Steel video. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. Hope to see more stuff like that. My question is, with Spielberg dropping out of Indy 5 and probably uh, finishing West Side Story, do you think he'll do DC's Black Hawk next? I think that film will truly be special. No, I think he's walked away from that. I, I believe he has walked away from that. For those of you who don't know, there is a, a DC property called Black Hawk. It doesn't have superheroes or anything, but... And Spielberg, a couple of years ago, was announced he was going to direct that, and we've heard nothing from it since, and I believe I heard he dropped it. So uh, maybe he will. At this point, my understanding is, which could be wrong, uh, I, my operating assumption right now is that he has dropped that project, so I'm not expecting to see it, unfortunately. All right, Taj and Cars writes, uh, is this a deep cut? The cartel shootout scene in the original Predator, Arnold rows a truck downhill and a cartel worker tries to catch the truck. That's the same actor who Danny shoots off the building in the opening of Battle of Predator 2. I had no idea. Like, is that, um, is that like a legit thing? Is that like, did that, is that actually happen? Like, did you even go into IMDB, um, to see that that's actually the same guy? I, I, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm curious. That'd be interesting because that is an interesting piece of trivia there, dude. I appreciate that. All right. Taj and Cars also writes, um, been with you since the day the Force Awakens trailer dropped. That's going back a little bit. I remember sitting at lunch uh, when the news dropped about John Schnepp passing away and openly weeping in uh, California Pizza Kitchen. I've never felt a racist vibe from you. Thank you for being an ally, brother. I see your heart. Oh, I appreciate that, Taj. Thank you very much. And yeah, whenever you get close to uh, Comic-Con time, it's when you get close to Comic-Con time that you you remember the passing of John Schnepp because that's when it became official. We were all at Comic-Con when it was declared. We, I mean, uh, there was a bunch of us who knew before Comic-Con started. We knew. But, you know, they, they released it and made it publicly aware during Comic-Con. And it, it, it that makes Comic-Con kind of tough. That does make Comic-Con kind of tough. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. All right, 50 Shades of Geek writes, I spoke too soon, John. They announced yesterday that the reopening of movie theaters in Israel was postponed. Me equals sad. Well, that's interesting because they just announced that they are going to reopen here this week, which is kind of weird. But like every country's got to deal with it in their own way and in their own time and in the way that they feel it's appropriate. So, hey, maybe your country's doing it right and California shouldn't be opening the theaters right now. I'm excited that they are, but maybe they shouldn't be. We'll find out soon enough. All right. David Crabtree writes. So I was thinking. A movie made about the invention of the dictionary could be interesting. Now, hear me out. I feel it. I feel it could be a defining movie. A uh, defining movie, ladies and gentlemen. Tip your waitress. David Crabtree is here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Jordan uh, Genovese writes. John, did you see that Harley Sawyer who plays Ralph Didney on The Flash got fired today due to racist, mis uh, misogynistic and very culturally insensitive tweets from years ago? What are your thoughts and how do you think the show will handle this next season? Well, we've already discussed this. How will the show handle it next season? Listen, the thing about Flash is they always do episodes where, in where characters don't even appear the entire episode. Like they've done that all the time with with almost every character where like one of the main characters isn't even in that episode. So I think what they'll probably do, I don't think they're going to recast him. 
Although I have, I see no problem with recasting him. But I, what I think they'll probably do is say, you know, they'll they'll start the season and say, hey, has anybody heard from Ralph since he moved to Brazil? And they'll just write it off like that. Uh, that's probably how I, I'm guessing they're going to handle it. But they maybe they recast him. Maybe they do something else. I'm not really sure. Maybe they reuse footage from this past season that wasn't aired to wrap up somehow, some way. I, I mean, it's a good question. It's a good question. All right, Jordan also writes, just realize that one of your main topics on your show today, uh, lesson learned, always do your research before asking the question, LOL. Did you like season six of The Flash now that it's over? I did. Yeah. Not like one of my top one or two favorite seasons, but I did enjoy the season of The Flash. Um, it's especially good to see them continuing to recover from that um, DeVoe season. That DeVoe season I thought was really bad. It's the one season they did that I thought was quite poor. And it's nice to see them continuing to build momentum and to recover from that one. All right, Ryan Lohner writes, uh, just recast Dibney and throw in a line that Ralph's now able to change shape permanently. This is a show where a guy with super speed gives up every time a bad guy goes around a corner. I think we can suspend our disbelief on this one. Oh, no, listen, you don't even have to explain why he looks different. Listen, they recast Dumbledore. And they didn't have to explain why he looks different. It's just that, okay, this is Dumbledore now. They recast Rhodey in Iron Man. They didn't have to explain why does he look different in this movie? No, they just assumed the audience is smart enough to know we've got a new actor playing the role. You, all you have to, if you wanted to recast, just recast. You don't have to explain it. It's just, this is Dibney now. If you wanted to do that, that's what you could do. But like I said, I think they'll probably write the character out. Fifty Shades of Geek writes, Okay, confession time. I'm the one who called out the Wakanda Forever as the Kryptonian Eternal. Uh, in all honesty, though, Wakanda, you seem like an awesome guy. Keep doing what you're doing and stay safe, man. Yeah, it's always good to get positive message to and from our other uh, members in our film fan community. Thanks for that, man. Topher Rocks writes, Hey, John, were you aware that the director of Galaxy Quest uh, is the director of Bill and Ted Face the Music? Yes, I am. I have high hopes for the new film uh, i'm one of those people that enjoyed bogus journey more than the first movie are you interested in face the music honestly i'm not that much now keep in mind i wasn't all that interested in spider-man into the spider-verse and i ended up loving that movie so maybe that'll happen here um but but yeah i i just i don't see this playing well today and because I, I, again, I appreciate that you like Bogus Journey. That's awesome. All film subjective. Unfortunately for me, I didn't really like Bogus Journey that much. And so I am not as stoked for this movie as many people are. And that's okay. That's okay. Hopefully for me, it'll turn out like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That I wasn't really interested in it, and it turned out knocking my socks off. So here's hoping that's what happens. All right. Be excellent to each other, right? So they dropped the Bill and Ted trailer on 6-9. That's kind of brilliant. Yep, that was our off the top today talking about that trailer. I do love the poster, though. I think the poster's great. It's a perfect poster for a new Bill and Ted movie. It really is. Um, I, I just didn't think the trailer was all that great. But a lot of people loved it, and that's the important thing. All right. Murray Reich writes, uh, judging only by the trailer, I feel like this Bill and Ted 3 movie would have been better if it was released in the 1990s. Like, it doesn't fit current times. Maybe that's just me. Listen, Murray, it's not just you. That's kind of my feeling as well. That's why I kind of felt like this Bill and Ted film was, like, 15 years overdue. I just don't know that it is going to play as well. And I, like, some people are telling me, I was in this discussion with this guy the other day who said, I bet you Bill and Ted makes over $700 million at the box office. I said, you're insane. You're insane. I think they need to consider it a big win if it makes over $300 million. And I, I'm not even convinced it's going to make $300 million worldwide. But maybe it does. 
I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it does. I I just think it's they missed the boat on it. I I just think it's way too overdue. But we'll find out, Murray. We will find out. All right, the Wakanda Forever writes. Cute and cuddly list. Number one, Baby Groot. Number two, Baby Yoda. Oh, I think you got to put Baby Yoda above Baby Groot. Whatever. Number three, Gizmo. Number four, Baymax. I love Baymax. Number five, Pikachu. Number six, Woody. Number seven, Roger Rabbit. Number eight, Baby Jack-Jack. Number nine, Wally. Number 10, the Ewoks. Yes, John, I know they are hunter killers. Honorable mention, uh, Chip Olaf. Which one from this list is your favorite? Oh, I, I can't. I can't. Nope. I, I can't just point to one and say one is my favorite because each one of them is really cool in different ways. Uh, I'm not all that big on Pikachu because I'm not a big Pokemon fan. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I like all the rest of them, though. They're all cute and cuddly, and you're right. But but you know what? Ewoks, yes, they are allowed to be both. Ewoks are cute and cuddly, but they are also vicious, feral killers. They're hunter killers. Um, they will capture you, not kill you. They'll tie you up and put you over an open fire and cook you alive. They will burn you to death while you scream into the Andorian night, begging for death while the fire continues to burn away your flesh. And then they will carve up your carcass and eat you. These are the Ewoks, ladies and gentlemen. These are the Ewoks. All right, Dim Simo 5 writes, is there anything better than the Bill and Ted trailer being released on 6ix9ine? Enjoy your day, guys. Again, there is... I didn't even think about the fact that it's being released on 6ix9ine until somebody pointed that out. There is something There is something appropriate about that. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, it annoys me that people complain about the pop cultural references. I can understand complaining about particular pop culture references, but complaining about all is flat out ridiculous. What makes a movie timeless doesn't exist and has never been has never been existed. I'm not really sure what you're referring to there, anonymous. Like, I agree. Listen, pop cultural references can be very, very effective. They can be very effective. A great use of them can make a movie really fun if used right. It's always, Look, pop culture references is the same as any tool. If it's used right, it can be really effective. If it's not used right, it can be very lame. But I think it is fair to say that a heavy use of pop cultural references, even if it makes the movie great right now, it does take away from its longevity. Like there are some movies from the 80s that just don't stand up well today because they were too... They were, they were too reliant on the era. Whereas there are other movies in the 80s that aren't reliant, that aren't as reliant on pop cultural references to its current context at the time and therefore stand up a little bit better. So it can totally work, but it can also have a downside to it. So I, if that's what you're talking about, again, I'm not, I'm not really clear on what it was you're going for, but if that's what you're talking about, I think it goes a little bit uh, back and forth on that. All right, the Wakandan Forever writes, Watching the show reminds me to keep an open mind till I see the movie. Which of these films pleasantly surprised you the most? Creed, the Lego movie, Spider-Verse, or Guardians? P.S. YouTube recommendation, Spider-Man, turn off the dark 2.0 Broadway recording. I've not heard of that one. Yeah, all those movies you mentioned are ones that I didn't have high hopes for. I thought Creed was a bad idea. It's like, you're going to do a Rocky movie, but the main character's not Rocky. And I ended up loving it. I love Creed. The Lego movie. You're making a movie about plastic building blocks. And I ended up loving it. Spider-Verse. Really? We got live action Spider-Man all these other reasons. And I ended up loving it. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, and guard well, Guardians, I wasn't skeptical. I wasn't skeptical of Guardians. I just didn't know much about Guardians. I'd say the biggest pleasant surprise for me out of those three was, I'm going to say Creed. I'm not saying Creed is my favorite film of that list, but at least with Spider-Verse, it was still a comic book movie. Um, and so that had some of my interest and hope and enthusiasm, even though I was kind of skeptical about it at the same time. Creed, I just thought the whole idea was a bad idea. Even though you had Ryan Coogler directing, and even though you had Michael B. Jordan starring, and even though Sylvester Stallone was back, even though all that kind of stuff, I just thought, a Rocky movie, that's not going to be about Rocky. Come on. Come on. That seems kind of pathetic. That seems kind of desperate. And I loved it. So, yeah, I'm going to say the biggest pleasant surprise for me out of that list would be Creed. All right. Uh, Bruce ate my bigger boat. Of course, that's a Jaws reference. Uh, Jaws turns 45 this month. That is crazy. And Jurassic Park turns 27. Being 35 myself, I always say Jurassic Park is my generation's Jaws. That's not a bad analogy. What movie would you say is the new generation's representation of groundbreaking creature movie? Love the show. I don't know that there has been. Honestly, like I think we are still in that era of Jurassic Park. And what I mean by that is, is that Jurassic Park changed the game for what filmmakers could actually put on screen in a believable way. It changed the game. It's the movie that even George Lucas himself said, uh, when I saw Jurassic Park, it made me realize I could do, uh, I could do my new Star Wars stories and went and did uh, the Star Wars prequels, because he saw what Steven did in Jurassic Park and realized, I can now make the movies I want to make. Now that the technology is here, I can make the movies I want to make. And I think, I, I honestly don't think, and I could be wrong, and maybe somebody could bring up a movie or two and I would change my mind. But right now, I don't really think there's a movie that has been that next evolution of the creature feature like Jurassic Park was. I think we're still in that frame. I still think we're in that era. And... Um, I mean, Godzilla didn't change it. King Kong didn't change it. Uh, C Cloverfield didn't change it. Uh, I think we're still in the Jurassic Park era. And I don't know when that'll change, man. It's a great question, but I don't know when that'll change. Kevin Rubio, our friend Kevin Rubio writes, just saw the new trailer for Bill and Ted face music in a word that needs to come together in a world that needs to come together and be saved. Could Bill and Ted actually do it this summer? Be excellent to each other. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe again, I wasn't thrilled with the trailer. I, but again, listen, I get why people who are excited about Bill and Ted seeing Bill and Ted, that's exciting. And maybe that's all the first teaser trailer needs to do. You know what? Maybe, maybe that's all it really needs to do. And if so, then mission accomplished. But as just a, a as an average film goer, who's not totally bought into the idea of a Bill and Ted uh, new movie. That trailer didn't do anything to raise my my excitement. Of that. But, but I, again, I will say, seeing Alex and Keanu in those muscle suits, okay, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I, I did appreciate that. That was pretty funny. All right. Your thoughts, rights. I watched Sindler's List for the first time last night. Wow, man. What did you think? Um, it's universally considered an all-timer, but just didn't hit me cinematically like that. I almost feel guilty for not admiring it as much. Fines was incredible, though. Chilling and evil and terrifying. Hey, listen, that's the thing, your thoughts. Every, that's why we keep saying every movie's subjective. There are going to be times you're going to come across what are considered classic movies that you haven't seen before, and you're going to watch some of them, and they're going to blow you away. 
And then you're going to watch some other ones and they won't blow you away. That's the nature and the beautiful thing about the art of filmmaking is it all hits us in different ways. And so you have no apologies to make just because you watch it and it, it just didn't blow you away on that level. That's okay. That's film. That's art. That's art. So don't feel bad about that. But I'm glad you you treated yourself to watching it. Yeah, Ray Fiennes in that. Forget about it. I mean, it's just so freaking good in that. All right. Alan Turchetto writes, John, it's my birthday today. Happy birthday to you, sir. May you have a tremendous day and a tremendous year in front of you, my friend. Uh, been a weird year, but I started my own YouTube cooking channel. That's awesome. The Red Pot, which is something I've really been wanting to do for years and finally got the time to do it. Keep up the filthy. Dude, that's awesome. I think everybody should get involved in some sort of creative expression. Maybe it's writing some stuff. Maybe it's podcasting. Maybe it's YouTubing. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's DIY um, projects around the house. Maybe just something. I believe everybody to some degree should get involved in something that is creative. I, I just think it, it nurtures a part of our soul that needs that. And the fact that you're actually doing something like that, Adam, I think is tremendous. So again, happy birthday to you, my friend. And may you have a great year in front of you. All right. Double X, your disease writes. Rob is back. Yes, he is. Can't be laid the smack down on some jellyfish. I woke up in a bad mood, but seeing Rob on the show really turned things around. Be safe, everyone. And and be safe to you as well. It's it's a rough time out there from viruses to everything else. It is. But we're glad that you're here and you're part of our community. So thank you for that. Uh, Daniel Williams writes, Hey, John, HBO Max recently put out a promo that contained a tease for what's to come in 2021. This included Green Lantern, Justice League Dark, and a Aquaman animated film. Uh, couple this with DC's theatrical slate and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Is 2021 a, a year DC can dominate? Mm, no. I, I don't see anything on that list that can make DC dominate. Um, now, because like we got Wonder Woman coming this year. Yeah, no. No, I don't see anything there that suggests to me that that's a year that DC will dominate. A straight-to-series stuff, although I'm very intrigued about Green Lantern. I'm very intrigued about Glean Andrew. I could care I could care squat shit about any Marvel or DC straight to video, straight to home streaming animated film. So I don't care about the Aquaman one. Uh, I certainly didn't like Justice League Dark uh, that I saw. Um, the theatrical slate is thin, so no. Now I don't get me wrong, like I'm very, very stoked for Aquaman 2. I'm very stoked for Black Adam and Shazam 2, and particularly Wonder Woman 84. There's a lot of things I am very excited about, but uh, all that is so theoretical and questionable that it could all turn out to be awesome. But at this point, no, I don't think any of that points to it being a year that DC dominates. Not when you, we've got, you know, Thor, Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange and all these other things coming from Marvel. I, I just don't see that particular thing being what DC dominates with. Maybe once we get into 2022 and 2023, then it's an open ball game. But for 2021, I don't think so. But you never know. You never know. I'm just saying that right now in the early part of 2020. Ask me again as we get closer to 2021. Maybe that'll change. All right. Uh, Man of Steel to Prayer Warrior writes, sup, uh, sup with it, Geo. Been a fan since the Man of Steel review. Thank you so much, man. Uh, movies ripe for a remake. Jim Cotta, of course, the star of Jim Cotta just passed away recently. Uh, Last Starfighter, Legend with Tom Cruise, and Crawl. Besides Starfighter, which one is your favorite? Honestly, I mean, Jim Cotta's terrible. I mean, Jim Cotta was awful, so I'm going to take that one out. I'm not the biggest Legend fan, but I always got a big... <laughs> I got a big kick out of Crawl. 
I always got a big kick out of crawl. And I remember even as a kid, I was tried to, I tried to make out of Play-Doh and like and and like uh, uh, paper clips. I tried to make my own version of the of the weapon, right? So I would say, first up, last Starfighter. Next, if you're going to do one, do Crawl. That's that's a nice callback to that one, Anonymous. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Anonymous viewer also writes. Just finished the game, and I know you're not a fan of the work, but it will be a snub if Last of Us doesn't get nominated or win Game of the Year. And as everyone knows, I'm a huge Last of Us guy. I can't say, I can say this isn't just better than the first. I can say this isn't just better. The first bad adds so much more. I'm not quite sure what that means. But listen, I'm hearing great things about Last of Us 2. Great things. There was a lot of people that got really upset at some some of the leaks that came out and i didn't like the sound of the leaks either but i told everybody everybody just calm down you don't know what the context of that is just wait till you see it in context i don't like the sound of it either but whatever but every person that i have talked to that does have uh some kind of connection in there is saying that it's great and so we'll see, man. We'll find out. I think the actual review embargo, the official review embargo, I think lifts in three days, I think. And so then we'll start hearing from a lot more voices about it. All right. Next up, uh, Jaron Morris writes at UFC 250. Dana White was questioned about uh, this. Uh, is Valentina going to be next for Amanda? And his reply was, nobody wants to see that fight, really. Amanda dominated her twice, and Valentina can't beat her, so no. Uh, Amanda is unstoppable till she fights Valentina. I I did, I did disagree with Dana's thing that, that Amanda dominated Valentina. I disagree with that assessment. I disagree with that assessment. Um, I don't think that... I mean, listen, I thought she won those fights. But I also thought they were great fights. I thought they were tremendously great fights. I just, there's nothing, there's honestly nothing left. I mean, maybe she fights Wei Li. I mean, the, the only thing left for, for Amanda Nunez right now is to, to, is to fight in super fights. And then after that, fight a guy. I mean, really, there's, there's nothing left. She might as well retire. There is nothing left for her to do. I think the only two fights that make any sense for her at this point is a trilogy fight with Valentina or a fight with Wei Li. That's the only that's the only thing and I just don't know that weight is going to make that possible. So I don't know, man. I just I just don't know. But I disagree that that uh, uh, of the idea that Amanda dominated. Amanda won those fights. But I but I think they were closer than that. I thought that, but that's just me. All right. Um let's see here. Next up, Evan Ryan writes. Uh, hey John, I can't believe uh use you probably meant you. I can't believe you were talking about the Count of Monte Cristo yesterday. I freaking love that movie and no one ever talks about it. You know, it's funny. It does get brought up. That Count of Monte Cristo movie, I think it's 2002. That Count of Monte Cristo movie does come up on this show once in a while. And I'm always glad when it does because it, it is a good little film. Actually, it's it doesn't get the recognition it deserves. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a top 20 all-time greatest film. I'm not necessarily saying that. Not at all. I'm, but I am saying it's a great movie. I always thought it was a great movie. Not in a top 20 or anything, but always a great movie and deserves a little bit more recognition. So I'm glad you're one of those people, Evan, that appreciates that movie. All right, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, as a fellow Hook fan, I thought you would like to know Zuko is voiced by Dante Bosco, a.k.a. Rufio from Hook. Just fun. I had no idea. Rufio, Rufio. I had no idea that Rufio did the voice of Prince Zuko. Uh, Zuko. I had no idea that. 
that now just makes me excited. Now I want to go back and watch even more of it. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, Jaron Morris writes, John, I recommend you watch a YouTube miniseries called uh, Dagestan Chronicles. It's a miniseries following uh, Habib talking about his childhood to where he grew up, his religion and family. Very interesting to see what he went through to be the eagle. Well, I've seen a lot of stuff on Khabib. Uh, Nurmagomedov, I've seen, who is the best fighter in the world. Khabib is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. There's nobody else close to him. He is so far above everybody else, it's crazy. But I've seen a lot of stuff on him, uh, on his growing up and, you know, coming from Dagestan and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I've seen this one or not, but I have seen a lot of material uh, on his background. So, but that one could be interesting too. I might have to check that one out. Thanks for bringing it up, Jaron. All right, Casinema Reviews writes, now that you finished season one of Avatar The Last Airbender, I'm curious how you felt about the episode The Great Divide, the episode where they go in the two groups through the canyon. It's commonly seen as the worst episode of the series. I did not like that. No, no, no. Let me take that back. I didn't love that episode. I think that is either my least favorite or my second least favorite uh, episode from season one. I think I liked all of them. But I think those are my my. It's either my least favorite or my second least favorite. My other least favorite episode from season one was the one where they go into the town where they have the fortune teller and there's the volcano. I can't. I don't know the name of the episode, but I wasn't thrilled with that episode either. So those two episodes are the ones that I like the least. I think that that's yeah. Those are the ones that I like the least. All right, Jaron Morris writes. And to follow up, as much as I love Khabib and he is the goat, well, Eagle, uh, his little brother, Islam, he's a monster as well at 18 and one. And some people say he's 19 and 0. he's a monster. And it's safe to say the Nurmagomedov uh, family is a modern day Gracie family. Yeah, they kind of are. And then he's got like some kind of cousin who's super sick, too. Then another dude out of Dagestan. I mean, I'll tell you, they are just breeding a different kind of animal in Dagestan, man. I mean, they, they, you're just seeing some vicious fighters come out of there. And it, yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts. All right. James Argento writes, fun facts about The Last Airbender. Dave Filoni directed several episodes of season one of the show, then got hired by Lucas. Two, the actor who played Zuko was Rufio and Hook. And three, Mark Hamill is the voice of the Fire Lord in season three. I did not know that. Well, obviously, I haven't gotten to season three yet, but that's interesting to know. And somebody just told me about the Rufio thing. All right. Next up. Uh, John the Overlord writes, Hey, John, love your content since the AMC days. Thank you so much. With the cancellation of Robbie Riaz's Ghost Rider series for Hulu over creative differences, what do you think are the chances we will see them revive the character of um, Robbie Riaz or will they go with Johnny Blaze? My guess is they'll go with Johnny Blaze. I mean, that's the kind of from, from the real pop cultural point of view, that's truly the original Ghost Rider. So my guess is, although I have no insider information on this, let's be clear. I have absolutely zero insider information on this, but my guess is that they will go with the Johnny Blaze uh, angle. I think they're going to go with the Johnny Blaze angle. Could be wrong, but that's what I think they're going to do. All right. Last question of the day, ladies and gentlemen, comes to us from Usual Suspect 89 who writes, who is more responsible for the look of a film, the director or the cinematographer? Who decides what lighting, camera angles, and camera movement will be? Whose visions are we watching? It is always the director. It is always the director. It's the same thing with costuming and everything else. Look, ultimately, yeah, the costumers do their stuff, but then the, the director's got to say yes or no to each thing they want to do. Yes, go with that. No, don't go with that. Change that. Change this. And then then it's the responsibility of all these department heads 
to bring the best possible things to the director to make decisions from. That's the same thing with the cinematographer. You know, the, the director can say, I want this. Now it's the cinematographer to come up with the best way to do that. And then once the cinematographer comes up with that, the director will look at it and say, okay, yes or no. No, change this. Yes, keep this the way it is. So really, you're looking at a collaboration between the cinematographer and the director. But it's the same thing on every level of the movie. It's ultimately the director that makes the final call, but it's up to those individual department heads, whether it's makeup, costuming, cinematography, uh, music, um, visual effects, whatever. Those artists come up with the best thing, the best stuff that they can give to the director to make a decision on. So yes, it is very much the cinematographer, but it is also the director. So it's always a tandem. It's always a tandem relationship that way. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you so much for being here and being part of our show, guys. We know you could be doing a lot of things today. The fact that you decided to take a part of your day out to come and hang out here with us is awesome, and we appreciate that. Special thanks to all of you guys who sent in all the questions, not just because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but also because you supported the channel while you did it as well. And a reminder, guys, you can start sending in questions for tomorrow's show right now if you wanted to you can just go to the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video and just click it or you can go into streamelements.com slash movie blog tv slash tip you're going to be getting your question on the show and you're going to be supporting the channel while you're doing it guys do the main important things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you thanks so much for being here today guys my name is john campia and until next time my friends bye bye